CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It is Friday, July 19th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein. We welcome back to Front Smart and host of the Fight podcast, Sergio Vicente, and the Ben Jarofsky Show debut of criminal defense attorney, Tony Thefford. Now your host, not a criminal defense attorney. <laughs> the last person you'd want handling that one. That's for sure. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Junk Science Friday. And here's why. So a story today. I woke up bright and early in the New York Times about the latest ruling from Donald Trump's EPA. Here's the newspaper. And here's the headline. EPA refuses to ban pesticide seen as children's health risk okay now let's just break it down real simple the obama administration had put a ban on a pesticide that is sprayed on fruits and vegetables the supporters of the pesticide the pesticide industry pointed out that that pesticide helped keep bugs off of fruit and vegetables the scientists who've studied the pesticide's impact on children said it destroyed the brains of children Hmm. so here's your choice america bugless fruit and vegetable or destroyed brains and children president barack obama studied that thought one hmm destroyed brains hmm bugless fruit and decided to go uh, on the side of caution err on the side of caution and ban the pesticide move to ban the pesticide because he wanted a favor and help the brains of children in this country how about that and what was the response of lobbyists in the pesticide industry and the republican supporters quote junk science hmm well that's simple everybody on the one hand you have obama and his complicated and lengthy scientific analysis that's supported by most of the scientists in america that say it destroys the brains of children or potentially destroys the brains of children and the other side you've got republicans saying junk science and everybody wonders why it's so hard to defeat Republicans. They got those simple, simple easy to understand declarations. Anyway, when I was done reading that story, I turned to another article in the New York Times, which talked about Trump's uh, latest uh, Labor Department appointee, and that would be Eugene Scalia, otherwise known as Baby Scalia, because his father was Anton Scalia, the former Chief, uh, Justice of the Supreme Court. Anytime, Republicans, you want to join in the chorus against nepotism when it comes to your party, feel free. Anyway, Baby Scalia is a big-time Washington lawyer who got in a little bit of trouble back in 2001 when George W. Bush, otherwise known as Baby Bush, speaking of Republican nepotism, wanted to appoint him to a top legal position. And here's, well, let's just go back to the New York Times account of what happened. Hold on. I'm going to open up my New York Times. 
turn to page 14, and here we go. <clears throat> His appointment was controversial because Baby Scalia, well, they don't really call him Baby Scalia, was nominated by Mr. Bush in 2001 to serve as solicitor of the Justice Department, but was never confirmed by the Senate, which was controlled by Democrats at the time. And many Democrats and unions said he was too closely aligned with employers and hostile to the interest of workers. Much of the fear about Scalia's nomination at the time was based on his opposition to a Clinton administration re regulation that would have protected workers from repetitive stress industries, which became known as the ergonomics rule. Okay. So on one hand, you had studies showing that the repetitive stress hurt workers, and he was against it on the grounds of, quote, junk science. Yeah, I just like that. By reading today's New York Times, I learned that junk science has been around for a long, long time. I didn't even know that, D. It's about as good as fake news. Well, great minds think alike. Because that's what I thought when I was reading this story. I was saying, you know what? It sure is easy to be a Republican because you come out with these simple declarations that just blow apart all the analysis that people work really hard to prepare. So you could say junk science, or you could say fake news, or you could just say send her back, or you could say lock her up. It's really easy to be a Republican. Anyway, then I moved on. In my exploration of today's news, and I read an article which did it was a fact check about Donald Trump. Some of the accusations that Donald Trump has been making about uh, Congresswoman Ilan Omar. By the way, you forgot one. No collusion. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forget. No, I gotta write that down. No collusion. Right. Yep. Yeah, good point. Whoa. Mueller writes like a gazillion page expose of every wrong deal that Trump has ever done. It's all there for you to read, America. By the way, just stop by the uh, our little uh, office here and you can read it. And what does Trump say? No collusion. Anyway, so I moved on with the newspaper. I was reading a story, uh, a fact uh, analysis, a fact check of Donald Trump's accusations against Ilan Omar. And one of the accusations that Trump is trotting out or repeating uh, is that once upon a time, Omar was married to her brother. Now, this is just something that somebody made up and threw out there on the internet and Republicans repeat. And now Donald Trump goes, well, they say that she was married to her brother. I don't know if it's true or not, which is just sort of repeating it and takes sort of out of that sentence. Anyway, the, uh, Fact check points out, <clears throat> follow me this on me and this folks, that the man uh, that Omar used to be married to was born after Omar's mother had died. All right. So just one more time. Uh, the man she was supposed to be married to was born after her mother had died. Therefore, it is biologically impossible that they could have shared the same mother. So she is not his, or he is not her brother. And what did Trump do when confronted with that biological proof that the accusation is wrong? He said, junk science. Well, he didn't really say it, folks, but he would have if you asked him about it. 
We got a great show today, everybody. Ramana Hussein will be here. No junk science. Ramana Hussein, should we break it down all the news of the week? Uh, and we'll probably be doing a lot of Trump talk with Ramana. Uh, Tefran Smart will be here, community activist with Sergio Vicente. He's the uh, host of the Fight Podcast. Love talking politics with those two. Probably ask Sergio uh, for his thoughts again on how Democrats should deal with uh, Donald Trump. And uh, in the 2.30 hour, Tony Thedford will be making his debut. As Dennis said, he's a cr- criminal defense lawyer. And we'll be talking about about some of the criminal defense uh, issues uh, of the day. In fact, I may ask him, uh, you know, how he would defend Donald Trump uh, if it came to impeachment, see what he has to say about that. So plenty of local political news, national political news, and state news. We'll get to all of it. But first, the doctor with the news. Hey, guys, how's it going? I'm Dennis. It's the middle of the final day of the week. Bring it weekend. Let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. All right. First off here. uh, Oh, we got a a 2020 Democratic uh, presidential candidate update here. And uh, we have the list, the lineup. Debate night round two is underway. And remember, because there's damn near 30 candidates, the debate had to be scheduled into two nights, Tuesday, July 30th and Wednesday, July 31st. And poor, poor Grandpa Joe, Joe Biden. (laughs) Yeah, because once again, the former vice president will be on the same stage with California senator and presidential candidate, the Biden buster, Kamala Harris. (laughs) Made that nickname up. That's pretty good. Let's go through the lineup here. (laughs) 20 candidates have made the cut. And yes, do not worry. One of those candidates is Marianne Williamson. Tuesday night will feature Mayor Pete. Pete Buttigieg, the forgotten one, Beto O'Rourke, Minnesota <laughs> Senator Amy Klobuchar. Well, we kind of need some music here to add that up. There we go. Oh, yeah. Minnesota <laughs> Senator Amy Klobuchar, Marianne Williamson, two gentlemen whose first names I had to look up on Google because I forgot all about them. <laughs> Who are they? Montana Governor Steve Bullock. Oh, yeah. And Ohio Representative Tim Ryan. Oh, yeah. Ryan. I remember him. Those two are uh, going to be on the uh, first night. Former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper. John Delaney and our main event, Senator Bernie Sanders, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth. I've got a plan for that, Warren. <laughs> yeah, that was very well done, D. And uh, Steve Bullock, the uh, Montana governor, will be on the stage because uh, Dennis's favorite candidate, Eric Swalwell, uh, has dropped out of the race. I know. Uh, Tom Steyer, we talked about him, the California billionaire, who I guess he, he announced he was running, but apparently he didn't have either enough money raised or enough support in the polls to make it. You know, there is some, like a very small uh, requirement. You have to have at least 1% of the vote, I think, to, uh, to be one of the the 20 so uh he's not in it and um yes the big showdown the first night will be uh bernie versus elizabeth warren because they share some of the same constituents obviously they're looking to draw from the same pool of voters the sort of like the far left side of the democratic party the far far left side of the democratic party uh and so they'll be their first opportunity to go uh toe-to-toe there uh and then the second one as d points out and i'm looking forward to that one kamala harris versus Joe Biden uh, in that first debate. Kamala Harris uh, really got the better of Joe Biden. And so this will be Biden's opportunity to, to go at her, sh- to g- <laughs> or at least defend himself yeah. a little better than he did last time. I mean, let me just say a couple things about this. D. I just want to say some of our uh, guests who I, I love every single guest who walks through that door. Okay. I just got to say that to start with, but some of our guests are like, nope. 
I don't watch debates. I'm better than the debates. I'm just saying this guest. Which, one, which guest was that? Uh, just some of our guests. Oh, okay. No one in particular. No one in particular. Okay. A bunch of them. This is so like I'm putting it all together. You like guests? Watch debates. Sounded a little like Miles Conflasson, but whatever. <laughs> no, My, didn't Miles watch the debate? Oh, well, that voice you were doing oh, sounded like that was Miles my Conflasson. No, that was just sort of, I don't know what voice that is. That's some voice I hear in my head when I'm walking to the studio. Man, was it hot today, by the way, huh? When I was walking to the studio, I heard that voice in my head all the time. I don't like the debates. Folks, this is your opportunity. I know there's a lot of candidates, but this is your opportunity to try to figure out who is the best one to run against Donald Trump. You all say how much you want Donald Trump defeated. Well, here's your opportunity. See them on stage. See how quick they are on their feet. See how they react under pressure. See what ideas they have. See how they deal with Trump's uh, locker up and sender back rhetoric. So it's a great opportunity. You know what, D? I know I'm biased in this thing. I love political debates among Democrats. And it's like basketball. I can't get enough of it. And people, by the way, who say they don't like the debates remind me of people who say, well, I don't really watch basketball games until the end of the fourth quarter. You know what I'm saying, D? They're not even basketball fans. That makes sense, though. Which part? Watching it at the end of the fourth quarter. If you got nothing else to do for the rest of it, but if like a basketball game is just it, it, there's a, a ebb and a flow to it. There's the the start of the game, the build up. There's the 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 runs that teams make at each other. There's the dramas in the game. If you like basketball, you watch the whole game. If you don't like basketball, you just oh, just watch the last minute. Anyway, you know what? If you don't like politics, just check in in November of 2020. Then you'll see who your choice is. All right, we covered night one. On to night two, Wednesday, July 31st. We got Kamala Harris and Joe Biden also in the uh, debate. Tulsi Gabbard, Michael Bennett, Bill, why are you even running de Blasio? (laughs) Jay Inslee, editor Leah's favorite, Cory Booker, (laughs) Andrew Yang, (laughs) and Julian Castro. Yeah, this is uh, round two, second one. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, by the way, saw a poll. She's like the favorite Democrat of of uh, far-right Republicans. That's an interesting little uh, claim to make. And uh, Andrew Yang is the favorite. I'm not quite sure who he's the favorite of. He really, uh, <laughs> in, the, in the last debate, uh, Kitty Kurth, who was in the room uh, at debate night, she's a Marion Williamson supporter, said that Yang's microphone was constantly being turned off. Huge disadvantage if you can't be heard when your microphone's turned off. Yang was a little too chill. Had his hands in his pockets, yeah. just chilling out. Yeah. A little too chill, dude. Yeah, and then we pointed that out to Kitty Kurth and she said, well, it's hard not to be chill when they turn your mic off. So there you go. That's their explanation. So maybe they'll turn his mic on this time around, D. So there it is, your Democratic Debate Night Round 2 lineup, and you better believe that we'll be talking all about it once it goes down. And it looks like the herd could be possibly uh, thinning soon. Two of the Democratic presidential primaries, lower polling candidates, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper (laughs) and former Congressman John Delaney are being urged at the moment to leave the race. Say what? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Some of Delaney's senior advisors set him down last week to yeah. encourage him to drop out of the primary by mid-August, according to Axios. Hickenlooper has been getting the same advice. And eh, this one a little less subtle. Dude, run for Senate! <laughs> Yeah. Colorado's Republican yeah. Senator Cory Gardner is up for re-election, uh, re-election next year, and many Democrats in the state think Hickenlooper would have been the best chance to beat him. 
Yeah, that is uh, Kitty Kurtz theory. Well, not just about uh, Hickenlooper, but uh, you know, just there, about half the people on the stage should be running for Senate, excluding Beto O'Rourke. Uh, whoa, my! Whoa, what was that? So yeah, uh, the sooner the better. I get to get those Senate races going. Maybe the uh, you know the notoriety they get from getting two to three to four and five minutes of talk time on these debates will help them. But uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, even if the Democrats take back the White House, and I hope they take back the White House, it'll be very challenging and difficult to get their legislation through if Mitch. McConnell still controls the Senate. So it would be nice if you would like an end to this far right uh, wing uh, legislation that we see pounded down our throats all the time. Appointments like the EPA, for instance, who uh, want to undo bans on pesticides. It would be nice to have the the Democrats running the Senate. So, yeah, come on, Looper, Get back to the 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 go back to the Senate. And finally, let's end out the national news with an update on that one national story that has been dominating the headlines. And it looks like it's not going anywhere for a while. Donald Trump versus the squad. Mm. Quick recap on Sunday, our president, Donald J. Trump, in a tweet, told the four Democratic minority congresswomen, also known as the squad, to go back to where they came from. All hell broke loose after that online and on the news shortly after. Trump then held one of his stupid rallies, and when addressing Minnesota Congresswoman Ilan Omar, Trump supporters in the crowd began chanting, send her back. The next day, yesterday, Donald Trump disavowed those comments. Well, well sort of. Yeah. You listen and you be the judge. Maybe. Did it happen? Why didn't you stop them? Why didn't you ask them to stop saying that? Well, number one, I, I think I did. I started speaking very quickly. It, it really was a loud, I disagree with it, by the way, but it was quite a chant, and uh, I felt a little bit badly about it. So you'll tell your supporters never to well, say I, that again? I would say that, that, I, that is- I was not happy with it. Uh, I disagree with it, uh, but again, I didn't say, I didn't say that. They did. But I disagree. But, but they were echoing what you said in your first tweet, that they should go back. Well, I don't think if you examine it, I don't think you'll find that. But I disagree with it. Well, you'll- well there's that. <laughs> uh, if you examine the tweet, you won't will find what? That you said, go back to the countries you came from, which is what started this whole thing in the first place. Donald Trump's ability just to make stuff up at the moment's notice and just, you know, doesn't matter what the evidence uh, is to contradict what he's saying is truly extraordinary. And by the way, the, maybe we could play back and do a time. Uh, time the amount of silence. Donald Trump, uh, he stood there while the, the crowd was chanting, send her back, send her back. I've, I've seen it a couple times on, on the tape. He's just basking in their cheer so like that that smug little donald trump look he's got i got it right here let's listen the president doesn't speak again until it dies down omar has a history of launching vicious anti-semitic screeds And she talked about the evil Israel. Later. 14 seconds. Almost 15 seconds. 14 and a half seconds. He sat there silently. What did he say, D? Uh, I started speaking very quickly. Okay. Uh, 14.5 seconds. So now here we are on Friday, and we've now learned that Trump's daughter, Ivanka, wife, Melania, and even his vice president, Mike Pence, encouraged the president 
to disavow the send her back chance. Pence also heard from congressional Republicans who asked him to relay their concerns about the chant to the president. And uh, that's that story there. Yeah, well, let's just point out they didn't do it. They didn't encourage him publicly to do that. Done. Mike Pence has been silenced on this uh, issue. It's funny, funny. I'll be talking about this with our guest today. I'm not quite sure why they're so upset with send her back, but lock her up seems to be okay. So we'll talk about that with the guests. Like, why is send her back less offensive than lock her up? Um, anyway, so we'll talk about that later with the guests. Now, of course, we'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. People, we are moving on. Because coming up right now, we're going to find out what's going on locally. It's time for What Else is News. And a familiar friend of the Bendrovsky show has returned. And by friend, we mean the complete opposite. She's not a friend at all. In fact, <laughs> we find her to be insane. But hot damn, did she give us some great content throughout the years. You'll find out who that is in a moment. But first, it was yesterday's top story locally. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot announced five potential locations for Chicago's soon-to-be brand-new casino. The following comes from WBEZ and Claudia Morell. Mayor Lori Lightfoot has acknowledged that she could have handled the rollout of potential Chicago Chicago casino locations better. That was after some aldermen complained they weren't given notice of five locations the city said it will study. Here is the quote from Lightfoot, quote, the headline should never be Alderman surprised. That should never happen. And if that happened, that's a failure on our part. We will own it and we will correct it. Mm, yeah. Well, there were uh, the uh, Lord Lightfoot in that same press conference pointed out uh, that she may select a site that's not on that list. That We talked about that a lot yesterday. That was the pretty funny thing. The, Lori Lightfoot uh, shows her hand was the headline. Lori Lightfoot uh, unveils five sites. And then the smaller print in the Sun-Times story, got to give the Sun-Times credit, they got that in there, that she doesn't have to select one of the sites that was one of those five sites that she listed. So that immediately triggered me. Oh, she's not going to take this site. She's going to go downtown. She just needs time to uh you know let the let these like uh, balloons f- a flop and fail, you know, throw out these te- trial balloons. And sure enough, she came out at that press conference and said, well, you know, I may take a site other than the one in those interesting little uh, uh, notion she gave at that press conference. She said that uh, the uh, convention industry is opposed to a casino site uh, in the area around um, uh, the uh, McCormick place because they think conventioneers would spend too much time gambling and not enough time at the convention. It doesn't seem to bother Vegas at all. Vegas is one of the biggest uh, draws for conventions, and they're the gambling uh, headquarters of the United States. So curious little opposition coming from the convention industry there, Dean. All right, it looks like here it says two Southside aldermen were quick to reject potential sites in their wards when the mayor revealed the preliminary site list in a press release, but the mayor also seemed to consider the opposition a bit premature, adding that none of the five potential locations on the city's south and west sides are set in stone. More mm-hmm. quotes from Lightfoot. Quote, don't get fixated on those because those may or may not be the actual sites. Hey, you said that yesterday. Yes, indeed. The, the mayor added, saying the city had to identify potential locations for an independent consultant it is paying to determine if a casino is worth the investment. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that, listen, as uh, we talked about this with Jason Grotto uh, about a week ago, you can hear it, uh, one of our bonus interviews. They're already borrowing against the money they anticipate the state is from gambling. So whether what it no, doesn't really matter what the consultant says. They're anticipating money from these casinos. And so uh, these casinos will be coming. Now, where they come, I do not know. My guess, we got to bring Dave Roeder in here sometime to go through the Roder. list. Uh, Dave Roeder is obsessively studying this stuff for the Chicago Sun 
sometimes. But uh, my guess is it's going to go somewhere downtown, and those neighborhood sites will all be ruled uh, ineligible or not good enough or what have you uh, before all is said and done. Also, go for more on that story, check out WBEZ. We're moving on. For those who hadn't listened to or followed our show prior to the Sun-Time Chicago Reader podcast venture, you know, the show we did on the radio before Ben was fired? Yeah. Mm. Oh, that show, yeah. If you're new to the podcast, then you may not be fully aware of Illinois State Rep and former Illinois Republican gubernatorial candidate Jeannie Ives. Yeah, you may have heard her name a time or two during the election, but guys, this lady is crazy, all right? And I'm not talking about harmless Marianne Williamson crazy. Oh, no, I'm talking full-on right-wing insanity that's right up there with our president of the United States. You need proof? Okay, well, here's our campaign ad from 2018 going against Bruce Rauner. We want to say thank you. Thank you, Bruce Rauner. Thank you for signing legislation that lets me use the girls' bathroom. Thank you for making all Illinois families pay for my abortions. Thank you, Bruce Rauner, for opposing law enforcement and making Illinois a sanctuary state for illegal immigrant criminals. Thank you for making the rest of Illinois bail out Chicago teacher pensions and for giving Rom everything he wanted and more. Uh, Thank you, Bruce Rauner, for not being in charge, leaving Mike Madigan in charge. I am not in charge. I'm trying to get to be in charge. Yeah, that's her. Oh, Jeannie Ives. Right. Memories, D. Miss Memories. her? Oh, Miss Romana Hussein, by the way, who will be our first guest, is already in the studio. She's just smiling at the memories of Jeannie Ives and uh, her first her campaign for governor when she challenged Bruce Rauner from the right. If such a thing is possible, uh, she said he was too liberal. And uh, yeah, wow, it's well, like a nightmare. I can tell you miss her, so <laughs> I guess this is good news for you. She's back. Yeah, she is. Oh my God, Jeannie Ives is back. Yeah. The following comes from the <laughs> Illinois Political Bulldogs over at Illinois Politico and one Shia Kapos. Former state rep Jeannie Ives, who waged a bitter challenge against then-Governor Bruce Rauner in last year's GOP gubernatorial primary, has thrown her hat in the ring for the 6th Congressional District. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the district that Sean Caston won recently. Ives bid to unseat Democrat Sean Caston assures fireworks. Republicans have identified the seat, which pulls from Chicago's western suburbs, as a battleground. Caston and fellow freshman Democratic uh, Rep. Lauren Underwood yanked their suburban seats from Republicans in 2018, and the GOP once Revenge. Yes, they want revenge, but I don't think they're going to get it moving this far to the right. And uh, Evelyn Sanguinetti, who was uh, Browner's lieutenant governor, uh, is also announced that she's going to run for uh, Sean Caston's seat. So there's going to be a fight in the Republican primary between Jeannie Ives and Evelyn Sanguinetti. My guess is they're going to both move right to get the nomination. And I don't have, I don't I don't think that district will elect somebody that right wing. So for once, the Republicans are going to have to worry about uh, whether they go too far uh, to the extreme where Democrats are struggling with that one right now. So I think Sean Kasson will probably prevail. Oh, Jeannie Ives is back. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on locally, and now you'll have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? All right, let me tell you something that Emily Sanguinetti, Jeannie Ives, and Sean Kasson all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Ramana Hussain is sitting there. We're going to bring her on when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. 
Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh, my. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Hey, playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. (laughs) All right, our friends at the Chicago Sun-Times are offering you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Unlock every feature, video, and podcast, just like our show, The Ben Jarofsky Show, by signing up now for a digital subscription. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full year of all the news that you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters. Cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city. And go deep inside City Hall with best in-class political reporting. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. Guys, I looked online, everywhere. You can't do better than that. So take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. That's you. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky (laughs) Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed, we are live. Ramana Hussein uh, is in the studio. She comes here every Friday, Ramana's Rundown, uh, editor at the Chicago Sun-Times. And uh, we've been talking all week when we pass each other in the hallways here, (laughs) Ramana. Unbelievable what Trump's up to. Uh, It is unbelievable. I guess it shouldn't be unbelievable, but it is. Your general thoughts start there. I'm not surprised by the comments that President Trump had made on Twitter last week, Mm -hmm. it's been a long time coming. A lot of people probably think, oh, this is like a first, but I think the language against people who are always marginalized or are seen as marginalized has always kind of been there. I, one of the things I think is kind of interesting is um, that a lot of people have been posting John McCain's response to um, a commenter or like there was like some town hall debate where this woman had said uh, she called she said I heard Barack Obama's an Arab and you know a lot of people use this as this is the way that you should diffuse racism but it actually really isn't and I think a lot of people see it differently depending on what their background is so in this like if you watch it a lot of people are posting on Twitter yesterday and it gets a lot of Muslims and or Arabs really angry because some groups think oh this is like the proper way to deal with racism but it's not and it's been there all the time I mean Barack Obama was othered because people thought he was a Muslim. He what, had, and what was just, what so was I'll explain that. Yeah. So basically uh, this woman, you know, there's a town hall meeting, John McCain's there. And this um, woman goes, oh, I heard Barack Obama's an Arab. And then John McCain goes, no, 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 no. He's right. not an Arab. And then the next line is he's a good man. Yeah. 
And I know a lot of people are like, that's the way I remember someone when that happened, someone posted a Facebook post and I said, well, actually, for a lot of people, it does. It sounds like he's saying, no, 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 he's not an Arab and he's and he's a good man, meaning that, you know, you can't be an Arab and a good man. And I think language like that has been persistent for a long time. And it's on it's kind of on both aisles. And this is just more Trump's sentiments, a little more blatant. I think, and it's not very surprising to me. So when Barack Obama was running for president, Barack Obama is a very Muslim name. If you're Muslim, Barack, we say when we have holidays, we say like for Eid, we say Eid Mubarak. It means blessing. So Barack is kind of a name that comes from that. He had a Muslim father. He also had a Muslim stepfather. And so he definitely had that background. So that was used as a quote unquote slur. And I just remember, I'm just saying, being a Muslim and reading all these columns, and even from people who are well-meaning, they're making it seem like it's a bad thing to be called a Muslim. So, you know, and he's not. And, you know, I know that's one thing that I emphasize. When I went to India that year, when Obama did get elected, my cousins were like, isn't he a Muslim? <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 he isn't. I actually remember when he was running for state, um, when he was running for the Senate, um, he came to actually one of our Eid prayers, like our holidays, and you know he he said Assalamualaikum. He he knew Arabic yeah. words, and I remember my family friends were like, "Isn't he Muslim?" I'm like, no, he's not. But I remember this is like before. But you know, a lot of people did confuse that because he has that background. But for people to make it seem like that's not an asset is just kind of interesting, because and and I think that's kind of snowballed into this where it's acceptable to say this now. Yeah in our presidency. I'm just saying that there are very subtle ways people have otherized individuals who yeah. don't look like what the norm is. I mean, we even had Joe Biden saying that Barack Obama looked clean yeah. and articulate. Yeah. Now, what does I, that mean? And I, it's I, very just, I'm just saying it's not surprising for a lot of us who have been told to go back to our own countries. By the way, it's, and it's not particularly subtle either in the case of Trump. No, 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 no. Uh, That's and, what I mean. I go, it's, it's not, it's not shocking. That's what I'm saying. Now, and here, the, 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 the other thing, when you mentioned Barack Obama, brought back a memory, just wrote my, a note down. And this shows the ability of Republicans to say whatever they have to say at any given moment, even, even if it contradicts what they said an hour before. And it, I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Barack Obama went to a church on the south side of Chicago where the reverend was Jeremiah Wright. Oh, yeah. A church, a reverend. And they, the Republicans used uh, Reverend Wright and some of his controversial statements uh -huh. against Obama. And then yeah. the next breath, they said, he's a Muslim. Yeah. So it's like a one Or a hand, socialist. Yeah. I know there are people who are confused of whether he was a Muslim or a socialist. And, and, and that, that's just telling. And, you know, this is Jeremiah Wright saying things that for some people are very, is very inflammatory. But I bet if you talk to a lot of people in the black community, they'll probably agree with him. And so he had to distance himself away from his leader at the church. Meanwhile, Trump is getting away with so many things left and right. I just think it's so telling of our country. And no, just it's, like, a, it's a double it's, standard. And it's like, yeah. could you imagine if there was video of Barack Obama dancing really bad with women at a convicted pedophile's party? Yeah. Like it, it just wouldn't hold. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just very fascinating. No, the double standard. We, in a sad way. And I don't know if I brought to you, but this equivalency issue is really troubling for yeah. the Democrats, where in other words, Donald Trump uh, is allowed to say absolutely all these outrageous comments. Uh, Donald Trump is allowed to go as, to the far right yeah. in the political spectrum. and But Democrats are concerned that if they, even if they rebut Donald Trump too much, or even if they move 
champion their uh, yeah. democratic, their their values, etc. Their programs, they're going to lose the middle. I'm like, what's the middle? If you're afraid, I agree. Of I just don't understand. Like. You can't label the comments that he say, said as racist. Like some people have such a hard time saying that. Yeah. And, and, you know, for a lot of us, it is racist. And how, like, you know, there there's some people like just waffling. Like, oh, we don't want, you know, they're so scared. And I'm like, these same people are so willing to call people that look like me terrorists without even thinking twice. Yeah. So they have such a hard time saying that this guy is racist and you know like i said I, I i've seen a lot of people kind of recounting the times they've been told to go back to their country or you know go back to where they came from and this is now the president of the united states saying that well now it seems as though and help me with this one uh the chant send her back yeah uh, did you have you heard yeah that? i i heard about uh, the rally where yeah. he um you know donald trump i mean he seems to be you know he's definitely focusing on those four women ayanna presley alexandria ocasio-cortez um ilan omar and rashida Tlaib. and he seems to be taking a focus on ilhan omar who's the most visibly muslim because she wears a hijab rashida Tlaib is also muslim um you know, he said that he was trying to defuse the situation and tried to talk very quickly at that rally where all those individuals were um, uh, saying send her back. Yeah. And uh, there was uh, Trevor Noah actually has this. Uh, he just tweeted a couple of things and showed the pause that he had yeah. for a long time. And he wasn't really trying well, to defuse we, the we, situation. Uh, we just before you came in, we timed it. Yeah. And that's 14 seconds. 14.5 seconds uh, is the pause. And the joke that Trevor Noah did was that. Uh, that's he showed him all these things you could do, like yeah, somebody with, solving yeah. a Rubik's Cube and all this other Hussein, stuff. So. Uh, Hussein Bolt uh, winning, the, uh, <laughs> running a race. In fact, all the runners in the, the, had finished the race before uh, in the pause. So, yeah, he clearly, again, he's lying. Again, Yes, sir. I was going to say, we have an update here. Uh, this is recently. Donald Trump has gone back on what he said uh, about the crowd. Ben called it yesterday. I called it yesterday. What did he maybe? say? Well, what did he say? That they're know, nice people? Trump on uh, Greenville, North Carolina crowd. Those are incredible people. Yeah, Those are incredible patriots. Here we go. Ah, damn it. It's doing that thing where you can hardly hear. There we go. The fact that a congresswoman, in this case, a different congresswoman, can call our country and our people garbage. That's what I'm unhappy with. Those people in North Carolina, that stadium was packed. It was a record crowd. And I could have filled it 10 times, as you know. Those are incredible people. Those are incredible patriots. But I'm unhappy when a congresswoman goes and said, I'm going to be the president's nightmare. She's going to be the president's nightmare. She's lucky to be where she is, let me tell you. And the things that she has said are a disgrace to our country. Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, we, Dennis, that was very well done. I did. I, gotta, I, did. I actually yeah. did read about him saying that there. But I was confused. I'm like, is he saying that about the people at that rally from 2017, <laughs> or is he saying about the you know the rally the the, the white supremacist? No, rally? he's yeah. yeah no. So he, now he's saying this crowd. He was is talking great about people. the crowd. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Uh, the crowd yelled, chanted, "Send her, uh, send her back." He basked in their chant, waited till it subsided, then started talking again. Yeah. Uh, then uh, with the, the fallback, the fallout looked like it was going to be tough for him, and Republicans were begging and pleading with him to, to walk it back. So yesterday, uh, he gave these comments at a press conference where he 
kind of walked it back and said, I didn't agree with it. And I talked immediately to s- silence it. And when we played it yesterday, I go, yeah. D, I guarantee you tomorrow he'll walk back to walk back. And he did. And he just did. It's it's just, I don't know. So here's. I'm not, I'm not surprised, but it's just appalling that I, I guess what I'm more appalled by is the people who are just standing by and not saying anything. The people that should know better that have been, you know, in elected offices for longer. It just shows you that they really don't have a backbone. Well, it, 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 this is another one of our, our favorite themes is that all these um, difficult challenges that our country faces are only on one side. The Democratic yeah. side deals with it. So, for instance, when we talk, when um, the Me Too movement er, uh, really erupted and it was front page news and accusations almost like every week there was a different accusation, uh, the Republican candidate for the Senate seat uh, in Alabama was Roy Moore. Mm-hmm. And Republicans to a T were endorsing, including Donald Trump. Yeah. And Roy Moore was the guy, for people forget, uh, who, who dated was. Dated underage. Well, a dating is children. A, 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 children. I should yes. say it was, ra- it was, have, was having really. Relationships yeah. with children. That's a kind word, Minor. dating. Yeah. It was patrolling malls uh, when he was like 30 something. It's like saying having sex when you should be saying raping, right? So, uh, so anyway, and so, but it was, so Democrats were dealing with punishing Al Franken, were, were dealing with the issue of sexual harassment. Republicans just ignored it, embraced the sexual harassers among them, yeah. and they were rewarded for it by their constituents. Now you have the president being openly racist. Uh, clearly uh, appealing to all, trying to uh, wedge issues that will inflame his supporters and rile them up and get them to vote for him because they hate people who look differently than them. Mm-hmm. Democrats are talk, talking about how intolerable this we get. Not a word from Republicans. In other words, the debate isn't on both sides of the, of the aisle. No, it's it's. I mean, I think there are some Democrats, like you said, who are like afraid to say certain things. But yeah, it's it's just interesting. It's like if there was a Democrat who did that, you guys are all speaking out against Bill Clinton and his various, you know, moral failures. But you're not saying anything about Trump's allegations against Trump or Roy Moore Mm -hmm. or any others for that matter, like the Epstein stuff. So Jeffrey Epstein, like, you know, the the ties that Donald Trump has to Jeffrey Epstein. Mm hmm. It's like if there was an, a Democrat who had any ties, if um, Ilhan Omar had uh, some ties to Jeffrey Epstein, that would be all over the place. That would be the thing that they would be calling her out on because they're calling her out on random things that aren't even true. And uh, it, he's named the four. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if I think my prediction here, your prediction, Presley will sort of be dropped quietly from that list, okay? Because because she's African-American? She's not Muslim. Yeah. Uh, and uh, people people I mean, don't so, really so know her. Ilhan Omar. Yeah, I mean, I know It'll my husband, Mick, was saying, he said that when Donald Trump was running, it wasn't like he said, he was more attacking the brown communities, the Latina Latinos or what, you know, Muslims are perceived to be from brown communities, although, you know, there's Muslims all over the world. So he was, he's kind of, his campaign was kind of posed on these outsiders, quote unquote outsiders. So yeah, I, I, I could see him just quietly dropping Quite because they're probably Ayanna doing Presley. testing, polling, you know, to see like which one is the worst. And I think Omar. Ilan Omar is going to, because I think she's the most, like I, my, my theory is because she's the most visibly Muslim. She's wearing a hijab and that's, 
enough. You know, Rashida Tlaib is also a, a Muslim and has spoken out against Trump. I mean, she's she said F Trump, didn't yeah. she? Or yes, like, you know, so she was, um, you know, she was pretty vocal to Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. And by the way, Cortez's. congratulations for not swearing. Many I didn't. Uh, I, I, I know <laughs> there's rules. Totally, no, you're totally George, allowed to swear oh, on, the, you? on this show. I don't yes. know. I oh my God. George Carlin. It's a podcast. It's all rules. But we do post some of our interviews. Um, someone might make it on Lumpin' Radio. Yeah, someone make it on Lumpin' Radio. And uh, Adolfo, a dear friend of the show, uh, was not going to make it on Lumpin' Radio. Because he went off on Donald John Trump the other yeah, day. Yeah, I'm just saying, I yeah, as so a student anyway. in college, I remember that we had to listen to the George Carlin yes, tape the seven, or the, the bit seven that he words had, you the seven can't words you can't say. Oh my God, say, that's so funny. So. You studied that. I'm, this is the age difference between Ramon and me. I actually heard it. Like, oh my God, that's so cool. And, and then, uh, you know... There's classes on Keanu Reeves now, so things have changed since I've been to college too. Classes but, on Keanu Reeves, yeah, like on the on the, on the filmography on oh. Keanu Reeves. Oh, I thought you were talking about how like when he takes pictures with people, if he's if there's like women yeah, present, he doesn't touch him. He doesn't touch him. It looks like his arms are around him, but if you look close, his hands aren't. He's trying touching to be a gentleman. Oh, That's really? Right. Keanu yeah. Reeves. Okay. He can't, everybody loves Keanu Reeves. Uh, and uh, all right, but now, um, but yeah, I think he's he's definitely has a certain place in his heart for Ilhan Omar, and I think it's definitely because she looks she's the most visibly muslim mm -hmm. that's just my feeling and those individuals that follow donald trump and think muslims are all terrorists that's i think why that's he's going for that it. and because he seems like the last few days he seems i mean she's very vocal because i know she was asked about his comments on twitter and whether she's afraid for her life and she spoke out a couple days ago i saw i saw a group of reporters following her and she's pretty vocal but they all four of them are vocal yeah no. also ayana presley i did not know was from chicago oh my god we've been talking about that <laughs> sorry on the i didn't know that show. well yes. i'm learning a lot about like yeah. mitch mcconnell's like you know all right here ties. you go i know you were not listening because we talked about the success so here's the trivia question for you what high school did the ayana presley attend a uh, latin and close didn't she you're in you're in the right ballpark Lincoln. no 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 you i know you gotta stay you gotta stay private you gotta stay private school don't latin's a private school yeah that's why i knew it was a private school i remember reading about it the other day sorry i'm I, which man we were we had a big prize we were gonna give you if you got it right francis parker the oh, colonels yeah, okay. francis yeah. parker battles latin Daryl Hannah, I think, went to Francis Parker. That is very good. Yeah, You're now so. no, what? But Trump, Trump's not trashing her. You notice? No. Wait. No. What's her? Uh, but Elon Homer is also the only one I think that wasn't born in the United States. So that's yeah. his whole thing, also, because she's from Somalia. Yeah. So technically, she's also African American. But because she's, but you know, I think she's been a citizen longer than Melania has. But oh, they, okay. all these, all these, all these Republicans aren't looking at their wives, which is why, which why I was, why I was looking up Mitch McConnell's love there. life. Let's I never, <laughs> I never really cared about Mitch McConnell's love life. But when I was watching CNN the other day and he claimed that Donald Trump was not racist, someone asked him about his wife and I'm like, okay, when I think of Mitch McConnell, I think his wife is some woman that looks like she's from Little House on the Prairie. So I was like, wait, his wife is an immigrant. So then I found out that he was married to Elaine Chow, yes. the transportation secretary, mm -hmm. who was also in Trump's cabinet and worked for um, George Bush, George W. Bush as well, I believe. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I know this woman is not his first wife because I cannot see this guy. <laughs> 
being a young man and falling in love with the Asian American woman. I just can't. Some guy from Kentucky. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm being very stereotypical. Yes, so you anyway, are. So anyway, I looked. I know. I admit it. Anyway, I looked up. Um, so he had been married before to this woman named Cheryl Redman. Yes. And it turns out that after they got divorced, they were married from 1968 to 1980. After they got divorced, she became a feminist scholar at Smith <laughs> you know, College. Yeah. And she has worked with Gloria Steinem. On, so on, what do on you a make of project. all this? And, and it says she's been credited for trying to make the school more racially and um, racially and more, uh, I guess, racially diverse. And I just find that, I don't know, I find that fascinating. I think it's interesting that nobody has really done long pieces on her. Maybe she's pretty private. And I also like looked up, so he has, th- Mitch McConnell has three daughters. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, at least some of them veer left and they they were very vocal and tweeted during the Kavanaugh hearings. Well, so I just think I just find no, I, I, uh, I know we, we had this conversation when we were passing in the hallway, <laughs> Ben, did you know? And, uh, and I, it, so here's, it, you know, I, um, made me think about Mitch McConnell, who is probably as responsible as anyone in this mm-hmm. country, not named Donald Trump for the sort of the, the right wing agenda that's prevailing in, in Washington. And I'm going to apply the Rahm Emanuel test to him. So here's the Rahm Emanuel test. Uh, does Rahm Emanuel really believe the sort of like the centrist neoliberal uh, gospel that he preached when he was mayor and the programs that he tried to implement privatizing, closing public schools, et cetera, and so forth? Or did he think that was the pathway to victory for him? In other words, was he just looking out for his own very narrow uh in, uh, electoral interests, or did he actually believe the stuff he was saying? This is a debate I've had with many people, including your husband. I think. Now, I think it's. I think he did believe what he was saying. All right. Okay. That's what I. Believe. All right. Now let's apply that to Mitch McConnell. <laughs> now take a look at the women Mitch McConnell has married, the daughters uh, that he has. Do you think he believes the extreme white right wing ideology that he preaches and pushes in the Senate, or do you think he's just doing that because he thinks it's the fastest way to victory? to stay in office in power. I have a hard time reading him because maybe his wife became feminist after being <laughs> married to him. That's a good point. I you know, and that. Elaine Chow isn't really someone that Asian Americans who aren't really interested in what Trump has to say find her necessarily a sympathetic figure in all of this too. But he's, you know, he did, if he did raise children that are actually thinking for themselves, you don't know if it's the mom that was pushing this or him. And I, I think... I think a lot of these leaders, maybe him included, they know there's something wrong with certain things that Donald Trump is saying, but they are too. I th- you think? Do you think Mitch McConnell really believes that I, Donald I, Trump isn't racist? I mean, this thing about I feel the, like his mouth, his lipless mouth, kind of twitches. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I just <laughs> Wait, feel like his, he has no lips. I know, but his <laughs> lip, but the twitching of the lipless mouth. I never mouth. really see the twitching. Like he just seems like, you know, when he was asked and he was actually asked by an Indian American journalist about his wife, because what would you do if someone said that about your wife? And he just kind of didn't answer the question. He ducked it, he but ducked he was, he was on fire. So I don't know. Part of me believes like he probably, maybe part of him does believe this. Cause I think then he was on Fox news and someone said, you know, he said, well, I'm glad my wife doesn't want to go back to Taiwan or something. You know, it's one of those things he did. He did. Talk, he kind of espoused a little more on it. So yeah. I don't know with Mitch McConnell. I, I don't know what to I, I think I, there are some there's got to be some Republicans, even the ones I don't agree with. 
there's got to be something in their mind that's well, like clicking. I, I, you know, and and for a lot of these guys who are like conservative Christians, I'm like, do you really think Donald Trump represents the kind of Christian you are? Yeah. I, he doesn't. He's well, not like. I uh, there was a column in yesterday's Sun Times. I didn't do enough, uh, given enough time. I uh, really want to give credit Essie Cup, who's a conservative columnist that runs in the Sun Times about once a week or so. And she gave a very principled takedown of Donald Trump and the Republican Party at using what supposed Republican values to annihilate them. And she didn't do one of those things that so many Republican or conservative columnists do, mm -hmm. which is immediately start talking about Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> you know, start, well, yeah, Donald Trump's bad, but what about Bill Clinton? You know? Yeah. And no, she's just, she just said, this is a disgrace to us as Republicans. And uh, so I have to give her, tip my hat to him. But Mitch McConnell with the, I think he was the one who uttered, also uttered, he, Donald Trump doesn't have a racist bone in his body. Yeah. How and anyone so this say. is why, yeah, I, I kind of feel like, you know, I, I try to be, give them the benefit of the doubt, but Mitch McConnell, I think today he said something like Donald Trump was quote onto something mm -hmm. with his comments. So it makes me think like, no, I think his wife became like this feminist scholar for a reason. <laughs> and the daughters <laughs> I'm just saying too, it was, yeah. it was probably a reaction, right? To living to, with him. To, yeah, that's what oh, I think. But I just, I just... We got a quote from Mitch McConnell. I can't understand it, but that's a quote. <laughs> what does Bruce Reimer have to say about it? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what about Marge Simpson? What okay, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that's Simpson's character. Uh, all right, now, uh, could not be a, a Romana segment without some kind of recommendation. Romana, let's... Th Let's end this on a brighter note. It is really distressing times in our country. It is. Uh, we'll be talking about it further with our next guests, uh, De France and Sergio. But uh, let's end on a brighter note, at least uh, our conversation, before I send you off to editing articles. Um, it's, so any recommendations? Every week you have a recommendation. Well, I was recommended by my brother, or kind of forced to watch uh, the Aziz Ansari comedy special. Mm -hmm. um, I do not like Aziz Ansari. Really, um, I'm not saying I, I despise him, but I don't really okay. find. I don't. I, it's, All right, it's, <laughs> you don't despise I know, him. <laughs> I know a lot of people were fascinated by his show, Master of None. I did like there was like certain episodes I liked, and then there were certain episodes I didn't like because his voice is very grating for me. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I just found his Leah, voice huge very fan, grating. By the way, <laughs> which is fine, but it's interesting. We, a, a lot of South Asians think that he's kind of doing this show for like his shows kind of like for the white gays. Like he does so many things that are not like no Indian person. I mean, I know our parents probably think we're all whitewashed ourselves, but I was like, there's just some things his character or says and does. And he like talks and he, the, I think it's kind of cool that he does talk he brings up his heritage his parents were on the show but then every once in a while he'll do something that's like okay that is so not south asian and no south asian would do that you're totally playing for the white gays and showing people like oh i'm not like those other indians and you know he's it's just <laughs> wait what other indians is he not like no it's not it's not like people he likes but like his whole persona and character is like oh i'm just like this millennial hipster yeah, and yeah. i'm like okay you're like it's like it's it's like when you're South Asian, you know. It's like he's pandering to like you know the white hipsters. Okay. It's very obvious who he's pandering to. A lot of South Asians have actually written think pieces on him and how they think he's like. Okay, there's this one part of him where he talks about his heritage a lot, but then he's always like 
It's just like, it, it's very hard to describe unless you're from that community. So having but, said all that. Yeah. So, but my brother was like, and then, you know, he had that whole thing, the, the kind of like the gray area me too situation, mm-hmm. which was very controversial because, yeah. you know, some people felt like, well, it's not really a me too thing. Some people are just saying it was a bad date. So there's a lot of discussion and debate about that. So I know he let, turned a lot of women off. Um, so his show, my brother was telling me, he's like, no, it's actually really good. He goes, I don't like him either. This but is his, his show, latest Netflix his special. Is let, mm. Latest next, Netflix. What is it called? Netflix? What is it called? The uh, show is called? Leah? Right now. Right, right now. now. Yeah. So I did, I have to say that overall I did like it. And I'll show you, I'll tell you what I'm, Whoa, I'll, I'll tell you what parts big. I liked, and, yeah. and and I was gonna say like I'll tell you, give you examples of why I think he's performing for the white audiences. Okay, so for the I liked the like I liked how he started the show. I'm glad that he brought up the whole situation that had you know the the babe article about the, the date that he went on with this woman and how she felt like she was being taken advantage of. So I thought it was interesting they talked about 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 that, and I liked that he was very self reflective in the show. And then I love the when he started talking about white people and this woke culture because I have talked about this on this all show all the time. <laughs> yeah. And because it's it, it's true. Yeah. It's like you watch a lot. Of, you know when Black Panther came out, I had so many white friends just telling me, you know, tweeting about how they were going to Black Panther, taking pictures of themselves at Black Panther and it's just kind of like Okay, when you watch the movie Cats, tweet about that. You don't have to always tell me that you're watching a movie with black people in it. Yeah. It's it's like it is totally yeah. true and it's a kind of exhaustive at some point and it's very it's kind of patronizing at a certain point. And so I'll and, and I I know a lot of these a lot of woke white people are mean well. I'd rather have a woke white, than white not person. Woke. Yeah, than not woke. But it's just kind of like this over-wokeness where they're trying to, like you said, they're trying to out-woke each other. Yeah. And it's like they're playing this can. And it's like when you're on Twitter, I see this all the time. And you just kind of cringe. And it's like, okay, just go back to being a regular white person. Yeah. And, and Don't it, be woke. No, be woke. I mean, be a sensitive person. But you don't have to always tell everybody how cool you are yeah. and how you like hip hop. I've told that to my husband. I'm like, oh, yeah, white people always have to tell us how much they like hip hop. Like so how many times? You don't want to go to our hip hop Black Panther party this weekend. <laughs> and I are having. No. You don't want to go. Yeah, man. Like, Come <laughs> we on. invited you. It's like, no, it's just, it was funny. I thought that part was really funny and yeah. how like a lot of woke white people are playing this yeah, like woke Olympics, yeah. you know? So yeah. I thought that was very funny. I thought it was interesting how he brought up R. Kelly, which is you know, yeah. obviously something we talk a lot about and how, you know, you know, he loves, he, in his previous shows, he talked about R. Kelly. I like that he, cause one of the things I do like about him is that he kind of talks about his family a lot. And then this is where it's like, it gets a little tricky for me because it's like, he's talking about his cousin and he calls him Harris. It's actually hottest. Okay. So it's like, why do you have to like, act like you can't pronounce these names right or pronounce it like a South Asian would? I mean, I know. Okay. So I know he was raised in Georgia, so it's a little different yeah, because maybe. being a South Asian growing up in the 70s, it was very few of us, but I grew up in, in Chicago, the Chicago area, so mm-hmm. we had all these South Asian friends. But all I know that kid's name is not Harris, okay? So I'm just like, oh my God. So that made me cringe. And then he starts talking about you know his parents and how like he's telling everybody that you should see the people that you love. And he's like, I, I don't see, you know how we don't see our parents in a year? And I'm like... Are you seriously? Your parents are in your show. Okay, wait. Time out. This started out as your two thumbs up for the guy. No, but this is what I'm saying. This is why, this is what made me like, okay, 
he's acting like he's a wasp that hates his family it doesn't you know and i'm like because he's not like that because like because you know his parents were on the show they're actually prominent characters yeah. on the show and i'm like okay maybe he doesn't see his family that much because they live in georgia or like you know wherever mm-hmm. southern state he's from but i was like he made it sound like he was so removed and anybody that's like from an immigrant family your parents are always in your face and I mean, you're talking to them all the time. I'm talking to other people's parents all the time. And I, I know everybody's family is probably different, mm-hmm. but I, I was like, come on, your parent, you put your parents in your show. You don't see them once a year. So I'm like, oh, don't pretend this is like you hate your family yeah, and you yeah. never see them because it's three times know. a year. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm right, saying so, you're, you're Jewish. You know that you, you guys are always talking well, to your mom, you know, so it's like uh, well, my mom, <laughs> the stereotype, uh, you know what I yeah. mean? It's well, like, you know, but you're absolutely correct. My mom, may she rest in peace. Yeah. Um, you probably talk to her a I lot more than my, once a year. Well, oh God, I talk to my mother every day. I know. Okay. That's what I'm saying. So and, uh, I felt like that, like, he's like, I'm like, I don't believe that you don't talk to your parents. Yeah. You don't have that relationship. And that's one of the things, but I'm just saying those are the little like tweaky things, but he kind of redeemed himself a little on that show for me. Yeah. All right. So and then he talked out. about Indians too, of yeah. being not on TV and stuff. And he's like, God. So overall so, you say to people, watch this. I would say okay. watch it. All even right. if you don't like him. Cause that's what my brother told me. He kind of forced me to watch it. So. Well, I uh, tell, I urge everybody to watch it as well. And there's some very moving, I'll just leave it at this some very moving parts. Uh, when he's particularly, he's talking about, uh, uh, his grandmother who has uh, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. Yeah, it's that was very touching. Very moving. Anybody who's dealt with a person, an older a relative, a mother, a grandmother, a grandfather, said with uh, Alzheimer's and dementia can really relate. I can tell you that, that for my own uh, personal feelings. I'm going to tell you this weekend, I'm going to see Crawl. All right. That's what I'm going to go see. I don't know why you want to see oh, that. God. I want to see, I want to see the farewell. Like we yeah, talked about. That, that farewell opens in Chicago. Uh, Today, I think. Th- yes. And uh, so I'll see it next week. Anyway, we have to take a break. Ramana Hussein is her name every Friday on our show. Uh, Ramana Hussein, editor from the Chicago Sun-Times. Ramana, thanks for coming on again. Thank you. All right, that's Ramana. I'm Ben. We'll be right back after this. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday. How's it going, Sergio? July 19th is moments away. But before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board. And, of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go.
thank goodness it is Friday, July 19th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, we welcome back to Front Smart and host of the Fight Podcast, Sergio Vicente. And it's the Ben Jarofsky Show debut. Hope the studio looks good. Of criminal defense attorney, Tony, Oth- uh, Tony Thefford. I can talk. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Yes, indeed. DeFrance and Sergio were in the studio. They did such a good job together the last time. They, were, they didn't even know each other. They just met on my show. I said, come back together next time. Uh, although, uh, uh, so they're here sitting there ready to go before we bring them on. Do you got an update for me? Absolutely, I do. Uh, first up, right now, posted on both Ben Jarofsky's show Facebook and Twitter pages. It's the latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. This article is titled... President Polluter. Ben, tell everyone what they'll learn when reading your latest story. I urge absolutely everyone after the show to read this story. Uh, it is about uh, the uh, EPA employees here from Chicago who are leading the fight against Donald Trump's a rollback of pollution regulations that protect us uh, from damage to our environment. We're facing like an existential threat, folks, with climate change. And uh, the president wants to pretend like it doesn't exist. It's a hoax. Anyway, uh, it tells the story of one particularly uh, brave uh, EPA employee here in uh, the uh, Chicago office uh, who did a very uh, prominent protest uh, against uh, Andrew Wheeler when she was in Washington to re- receive an award for the work she's done. Um, Lorene Targos uh, from Chicago uh, did the protest. The picture's right there. Probably see it, the picture of her on our uh, Facebook page because that's the picture we use in the illustration of the reader. And I got to tell you, the EPA employees, in my humble opinion, there's some brave people. They are just speaking directly. Not just, everybody's like, you know, it's easy for me. I'm not employed by Donald John Trump. I don't work for Donald John Trump. I can say what I want about Donald John Trump. You know, but uh, Lorene works for the Environmental protection agency and uh nicole contello who's been on this show before d you know her Mm -hmm. i quote her in a story as well and uh she these are brave epa employees who are standing up for what they think is really important and that is our the environment so i urge absolutely everybody uh to read and support support these uh epa employees Uh, donald trump is going after their union big time there you go. Go check it out on both Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, uh, thechicagoreader.com. But hey, read it after you listen to this program, <laughs> all right? We got great guests coming up, so don't don't go away here. On to our next update. And guys, maybe it's just me, but I find stories involving President Donald Trump and hip-hop artists fascinating. <laughs> we had the Kanye West thing. You yeah, all remember that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Trump said, this comes from The Guardian, by the way. Trump said during his comments to reporters in the Oval Office that the White House is trying to get rapper Aesop Rocky, that's A dollar sign, AP Rocky. You knew uh, that, right, Ben? Yeah, of course. I'm Big huge. fan. What's your favorite song from Aesop Rocky? Uh, Rocky Raccoon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he loves that one. Mine too. Yeah. The rapper has been held by Swedish authorities for more than two weeks uh, for an yeah. alleged aggravated assault in Stockholm, but prosecutors are still weighing whether to formally charge him. Uh, so we have a audio here from Donald Trump. Uh, hopefully it'll sound okay. If not, I can read the quote. Uh, here we got to ask Sergio and DeFrance to weigh in on this because I know absolutely nothing about this. So get ready. Oh. Go. Man, we were we had him fooled, man. Rocky Rock Raccoon. Yeah, that's a Beatles song, by the way. Yeah. Blew your cover. Yeah, I know. 
Uh, ASAP Rocky is uh, a situation in Sweden. Sweden's a great country. Uh, they are friends of mine, uh, the leadership. Uh, and we are going to be calling. We'll be talking to them. We've already started. And uh, many, many members of the African-American community have called me, friends of mine, and said, could you help? So I personally don't know ASAP Rocky, but I can tell you that he has tremendous support from the African-American community in this country. And when I say African-American, I think I can really say from everybody in this country, because we're all one. I have been called oh by so many God, people man. asking you to help ASAP Rocky. Uh, actually, the one who knew about ASAP Rocky was our first lady, right? And she, she was telling me about, can you help ASAP Rocky? Uh, do you want to give a little statement on that? Hot damn, what a time to wow. be alive. I'll tell you what, all of a sudden he's worried. He just blasted, you know, four congrats. Con I know. I can't even get the words out. Uh, uh, Congresswomen of color, and now he's suddenly worried about what the African Americans, you know, in this country feel about. That's pretty amazing, man. That guy's unreal. So anyway, uh, Sergio Vicente, I always turn to you for advice, for counsel, <laughs> for how people uh, should uh, deal with Donald John Trump because you spend so much of your time uh, following wrestling and boxing and you have your own podcast, the Fight Podcast. So what is your response to how people should deal with what he just said? Well, first of all, free Flacco, okay? Uh, you know, ASAP is um, a young individual, you know, who is... Uh, Yes, he's a rapper. Yes, he has said some things in the past that people aren't very happy with in the community. Because pretty much he said at one point in time, look, I'm not an activist. I don't care who I am. I'm the guy who, you know, I'm, I'm about having fun, you know, talk about what I'm talking about. Having fun with girls, partying there, whatever. So he's in a situation in Sweden right now where essentially he was protecting himself. He was being harassed consistently for hours by an individual. They protected themselves, and now the Swedish authority, and realistically, the only reason that the Swedish, the Swedish authorities even knew about it is because somebody actually put it on their social media page. So they said after his concert, hey, do us a favor. When you come, we just want to talk to you about it. He said, fine, after his concert. He went to go, to, and ever since then, they literally grabbed him, locked him up for six hours without giving him anything but water. Um, and it's, again, he's been there forever, you know, since again, what, two weeks now or whatever, uh, is the case. A lot of, uh, hip hop artists at this point in time are not, um, they're essentially boycotting, uh, going out there, but this government is a government that has been known to be a very racist government. This is a government over there that has also been known to, they, they have recently said they don't want hip hop here. This is not what we want. So they're trying to make an example of ASAP Rocky now. Talking about your your boy, <laughs> Trumpito, you know, uh, my boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's somebody who, the, the, and honestly, the only reason he even knows about it is because Kim Kardashian and Kanye West recently went to him and said, "Hey, this is something that you know, free ASAP, right?" If we don't see what he's doing, this is a ploy. All he's trying to do is look, black people, we're here for you guys. You know, this is it. You know, I'm trying to Wait, help. is that your Trump invitation? Oh, yeah. oh man, yeah. <laughs> Come on, everyone, we're here. You know, let's do it. Um, he, he believes that this is going to ingratiate himself yeah. with the black, black and brown community, especially after he just got done torching us and saying, telling, you know, four congresswomen, mm -hmm. three of which were born here, one of which has been here since she was 10 years old, one of which whom, for instance, has been an American citizen longer than his wife, mm -hmm. 
which a lot of people, I, I don't understand why we don't know. And now you're trying to, now we're, we're cool because I'm here for the African-American community. <laughs> this is phenomenal. Like, nah, bro, we, we know what we're doing. You're trying to get votes. So how should we attack this? Yeah. Facts. 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 Do not allow him to, don't allow him off the hook. When he does this, look, if you can get ASAP out, thank you. We're not forgetting the rest of the litany of things that you've done in the past. We're just not going to have that happen. It's it goes back to his like I have no racist bone in my body, and so we're gonna try to help a black man who's going through the same thing that other black people in other countries. I think we often try to isolate that what's going on in America, in which black and brown bodies are being imprisoned, is the same thing that's going on all over the world. Um, so him and his uh, again another like marketing scheme of I, I care about the black folks especially this high profile individual um and it's coming from Kanye because Kanye has done a lot of work with ASAP Rocky and he's probably apolitical um up until this point he will at some point have to speak about his experiences he talk about ASAP ASAP yeah and his his language um like Sergio said a lot of his language was sim simply stating that the Michael Jordan type of response when it comes to things that are happening in black Your and brown communities. Yeah, that's my boy. Yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. Yeah, that is my boy. That is my boy. Um, six. six. I'm just going to say this. You got on a hat too. Six. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to mention that. We're, we're, we're not going to try to talk about sports as much. But yeah, his comments were around that he lives in LA. He's an artist who has a lot of money. The things that are happening in this country, in Ferguson and wherever, um, don't really speak to the life that I'm currently living. And I don't need to speak on it because I don't experience those things. And he, it's wild for him to make that statement knowing that he is a cis black man living in America and his family are black people who live in America. Um, and the things that it doesn't necessarily have to happen to you for you to be mindful and understanding of what's going on and have a voice about the things that are happening to the people who look like you. So. Well, do you think it, when Donald Trump does something like this, this is the first time I've heard about this, Dennis just uh, unveiled this one. So follow me on this one. He he has the rally uh, in South Carolina two days ago, and the crowd starts chanting, send her back. Mm -hmm. And then there's some a blowback on that. Yesterday, he has some statements to the press. We could play all this stuff for you guys to hear, mm -hmm. where he said, I didn't approve of it. Uh, it you know, I didn't... It, the, I try. I talk really fast to try to stop them from doing it. Uh, we can time it. And you guys can comment on that and how much time he's, he allowed to have. And then today he rolled back the rollback where at the same, I think it was probably the same press uh, press conference with Aesop Rocky, uh, he mentioned that uh, those are fine, good people, people. Mm -hmm. uh, at, uh, mm -hmm. at the rally and stopped yep. criticizing them. And, and then he started bashing Omar again, Congresswoman Omar. And then he's like, Aesop Rock, but why, all my African American friends, like, like who are his African American friends, uh, are telling me about Aesop Rock or Rocky? So, <laughs> like, what are we to make of of this? You know what I mean? Like, do you think he's actually convincing somebody, anybody in America, that he is a tolerant human being because he's speaking out for Aesop Rocky? Absolutely not. <laughs> um, let me rephrase that. Individuals who. I don't want to say people who are just educated. I mean, if we look at, for instance, the Gallup polls that are going on, his base, 100%, I believe, probably believes him. They His base has already said, stated that at the end of the day, they don't believe anybody but Donald Trump. So if he is saying something, his base is going to bite. 
90%, even after this past week, the Gallup poll just came out and it even said 90% of voting Republicans still support Donald Trump. Only 6% of Democrats at this point in time support Donald Trump. We also forget he lost the popular vote by 3 million votes. Mm -hmm. Here is the bigger issue that he is going to face. It's not the Republican. He has his base. The Democrats, we already know. What he wants to do is pretty much get those swings with the independent voters. Well, guess what? The independent voters have actually recently dropped as well in polling. So at this point in time right now, only 30% of independent voters support Donald Trump. That is an issue. If we actually look back and think about if anybody who is currently running at this point in time, if we actually looked at it and said, yo, independent voters, you're, you're, that's, you're polling at 30%, we'd be looking to primary them. That's what we're looking at right now. So do I believe that people are, are falling for this? Do I believe people are? No. We all know what it is. He literally contradicts himself in the same <laughs> sentence. Yeah. In the exact same sentence, he goes back and forth. I... It, it's it's all marketing. It's all propaganda. And like Sergio said, his his base will never not follow. Um, I don't even think it. It reminds me of things like the farming bills, the nine eleven bills, and which is core people um, are subgroups of uh, what it will take in order for them to say I don't want to vote. And it, there's going to be nothing because they want to uphold white supremacists like dominance in this country and power in this country so even if you go against everything that i stand for in my existence um how my family feeds themselves profit capitalism like even if that does not align i'm still going to vote for you because you're a, a white man who is trying to uphold having this country be predominantly held by and ran by white people and not overpopulated by people who don't look like me so I, I'm very curious to know what who are the 30% of these swing voters? Um, who were they up until this point of not voting for Donald Trump? And so it would be very curious to see, like, is it, like you said, is it the educated population who, who thought Donald Trump was going to, Donald Trump was going to come in and help them with taxes? Um, was it some of the very conservative women votes who were just like, hey, we, we can't be too liberal? Who, who is the 30%? And at this point, I don't know what it will take for a Democratic person to come in and run and for them to swing towards our way. But I don't know because he's done so much. Mm -hmm. Like, wh what is going to be the point where everyone says, OK, I can't because he's he's already done enough. I, I, I mean, personally, I, I believe it's, for instance, like you have indiv individuals who were staunch conservatives, like, for instance, you know, Congressman, like Justin Amash. Mm -hmm. So Justin Amash is one of the individuals who one of the only Republicans that has, has really been pushed out of the Democratic, the Republican Party and now is a registered independent. Mm -hmm. So the, because of the, the way he has from the mm -hmm. congressman, yes, mm -hmm. from the, their third district. Mm -hmm. So he is someone who I believe that. I think the independent vote are people who were conservatives are saying, hey, we cannot get down with this. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who have not that much, a little hit of empathy, a little bit of empathy for individuals. And they realize that, look, this is a big problem. Mm -hmm. It is. And well, it's a it's a long term thing, too. I, I think what they're seeing is if we don't support him, then this party will never, ever, ever be in power again. Mm -hmm. And so. If we relinquish and I, I'm, I take a stance with someone who is who is in the middle or very far, far left. 
then where am I at in this point when it comes eight years from now, in which we can't elect and it's ran by both the House and the Senate and we have no place to go? Like, mm-hmm. who these the, the people who are, are getting older and starting to vote have nothing in agreement with them. And their people are dying. And, and their group who always, always will support them, if I lean away from them now, where will I be in four, eight, 12, the next 20 years? Or where is our party going to go? And so they're, they're highly concerned. And so I'm going to be loyal as I can be. Regardless, it's a long run for them. Absolutely. All right. Now, let me ask you this uh, to France. I, I, I had a little joke with this uh, on the show. Uh, one day I opened a segment by saying, uh, I'm optimistic. I do not believe this is right after uh, Donald Trump uh, the, with the, the weekend with the tweets. This is this dominated conversation all week. So I said, I'm optimistic. Uh, there's no way that this country, despite its past, despite the Civil War, despite slavery, despite Jim Crow, despite all these things, there's no way that this country will elect at the 21st century a man who's so blatantly racist as Donald Trump. I do not believe that. And then the next day, I opened him like, oh my God, he knows what he's doing. This country's going to fall for it. So where do you uh, fall in that spectrum? Do you have optimism to believe that this country will reject blatant obvious racism of donald john trump or do you think this country there's the silent majority is saying to itself yeah man he speaks for me i'm gonna vote for djt where do you think it's going it's almost like statistics (laughs) in which like donald trump is the null right like when we think of statistics like donald trump is the null it's everything that they've ever wanted and like obviously he could have been smarter um and still just as racist um but I don't I'm not optimistic at all because I really think this country cares more about upholding white supremacy and not relinquishing power and allowing people um, of color to have power in this country. And it's so wild to me that people really don't they find no ways to be able to understand the benefits of people coming into power and reshaping this country because again it goes back to how did you ever view this country as a great place when so many lives and were destroyed or continue to be destroyed people can't eat people don't have health care like how can you look at and live in a society every single day and forget about people are suffering um, and say that this is a great place to to live because you as a singular individual are okay and your family is okay so i'm not optimistic i i can see another four years and not be surprised and i think i think activists are preparing for like we're doing our jobs to make sure that it doesn't happen so that we can reject but also being aware that even if whoever comes into power next the fights still need to happen um it's not like and i think aoc said it like even like we know he's he's racist and whoever comes in after it doesn't remove all the things that, that are still going on in this country that we need to fix and continue to work to fight fight against optimist or pessimist if i look at the polling which obviously all of us know we can't really base anything on i would say i'm optimistic that he should get out of here but i'll be very honest with you i'm I am a bit pessimistic because at the end of the day with, you know, the criminal in chief, he is racism isn't the bug. It's the feature. And that's what a lot of us have to understand. 
It's the feature. That is what we're sitting there. That is what they, they're putting out there. He's not color. He's, they're not color coding it. What was it? Tennessee or no Mississippi recently. They had a um, they gave a day to the one of the original um, grand wizards or whatever the KKK. Mm-hmm. This is something that is currently happening in our country. And the fact that he feels comfortable sitting there saying to, to sit there and literally say, hey, you four black and brown women. Go back to where you came from. Mm-hmm. Yo, bro, one of them is from your borough. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. She's literally from the exact same borough yeah. that he's from. Yeah. And one thing that people are saying that, um, you know, Lindsey Graham, whom I don't know if Donald Trump has a has a dog or a pet. I think that is the closest thing that he has to a pet <laughs> is Lindsey Graham. Yeah. So Lindsay. <laughs> one thing that he, he says that, oh, you know, if Ilhan Omar went out there and actually, you know, if, if you know, if he's, she's smiley, that's fine. But if she had a, you know, make America great again hat on and she supported him, that'll be fine. The issue is that he, she doesn't agree with, with Donald Trump. Well, James Baldwin years ago said this, he said, I love America more than any other country in this world. And exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. That is what these women are doing. We love this country. So what we're going to sit there and do is sit there and hold our country to a specific standard. And that's what and that's that's not what they want. That is the issue at hand. So we have to continue fighting. We have to continue doing what we're doing now, attempting to speak truth to power. That is what people have to do. We need more individuals like the squad. People don't <laughs> like calling. I like it. Whatever. They're the squad. And that's a great thing. They're out here. The Justice Democrats that are out there working, the people doing diff- different things. We need individuals like this who are not afraid to stand up to power. Mm-hmm. We don't need more Nancy Pelosi's. We don't need more Chuck Schumer's of the world that are going to sit here and literally give this man every little thing that he wants in order to keep themselves in power. That is an issue. We want more individuals, real Americans, because that's the thing. What we're starting to see now, Ilhan Omar, what a beautiful individual. You're looking at someone, when I see her with her hijab on, when I see her sitting here speaking, literally, I am the American dream. I am somebody who came from somewhere else, worked my butt off, and now I'm sitting here trying to make this a better country for everyone because she loves this country. That's what we need more of. And, I'm, and honestly, I'm proud that those women, like I said, not all heroes wear capes. Those are superheroes. <laughs> <laughs> not all uh, heroes wear, wear capes. Uh, DeFrance, since the last time you guys were on the show, I don't think the debates had happened, had they? You were before the, the debates. The, we were say. like, no, no, no. We were here. There was a debate the day before because, you know, there were like 13 of them. Yeah. Um, we came the day after, after one debate, but one not the, the, really, not really the rest really, of the not the rest of the debates. So, yeah. is there anything about where the pre, uh, the the Democratic candidates are that leaves? Are you excited? Are there any of these candidates that uh, have you intrigued? I told you, I'm always a Elizabeth Warren fan. Um, that hasn't changed. That hasn't. It, it, I don't think it will ever change. I'm just again thinking of how do we always basketball? It's a, it's a win or a loss. And how how do we actually win this election to remove him from power, to actually put in some policies in place 
or that we're talking about climate change, right? And that's a very local and global thing because it's not only, I mean, we know that Little Village is one of the, the places where people have the highest rate of asthma. And we think about environmental issues are always racial issues. They're, they're, they're never isolated incidents of where people who have the, the most environmental, environmental harm done against them is, is often in black and brown neighborhoods. Um, and so people who have to have that lens of understanding that a lot of the problems that are happening in America are racial. And if you don't state that very clearly um, in your politics, in, in your policies, in the ways in the ways that you speak, I don't really, I can't really listen to you. I'm almost tone deaf to it. Um, because again, you're trying to be in that neutral ground like Nancy Pelosi, in which we're, you're not even quick fixes, but just speak about it and not really try to make change. And we're at that point in society today where we need to start the engine like going. Okay. We don't have time to, to, to speak on it. We need to do things. And I often, I had a conversation probably about six, six months ago of how long this does it take to make changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we often think, I think in communities of color, we think everything has to be slow. That change is going to come like it's we got to wait for it wait our time wait till we have the resources wait till everything's all already mapped out and already done and now it's like we we got to be on the attack we have to really push things forward and have people in leadership who are going to be about hey here's my bill today let's 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 vote on it and make some changes and if not then nothing will ever happen and we'll always be neutral and that's not what this society needs, and that's not how we move forward in ways in which that we can make this America a better place, a, not better, a, a safe space in which people can live happily, happily, safely, um, without, having, without having to think about that, hey, there are so many injustices going against me, and I, there's not a way that I can actually survive here um, because people don't want me to. All right. So whenever you are on the show, I find myself having to defend Michael Jordan uh, <laughs> uh, under assault. Uh, no. I'll just say this is Sergio Six. How many championships have you brought to Chicago, Sergio? Uh, and uh, it's silence there. Uh, and and the Nancy Pelosi. So I'm often forced to defend Nancy Pelosi when I'm on the show because many of my guests are sort of from the leftist persuasion Mm -hmm. uh, that come on this show. And I always defend Nancy Pelosi by saying this. Nancy Pelosi is trying to keep together a coalition of people who basically don't agree with one another, who come from separate uh, neighborhoods. They have separate worldviews. They have... uh, some are afraid of the things that the other people are pushing for. So if, if a lot of voters, like they hear black people saying uh, that we can't wait any longer, they get nervous. And this has been going back since Martin Luther King See, was in jail. And he wrote the letter from Birmingham, Correct. you know? So, uh, and here's Nancy Pelosi <laughs> in the middle of it all, trying to keep her Democratic Party together long enough uh, to win the next election. Is she though? <laughs> Is she? Seriously, think about it. The fact that she's going out here from the very beginning, the only reason Donald Trump felt emboldened enough to sit back and actually attack these four individuals is because Nancy Pelosi has been doing it nonstop. She came non-stop. first. Nonstop. Well, she was first. I wouldn't say she, nonstop, but she, but was she came first. first. From she came, the she very first. beginning, she, yes. she said anything, and whether it be jealousy, whether whatever it may be, generational, it doesn't doesn't matter. How are you possibly trying to keep the the everything together when 
these four individuals haven't crushed Nancy Pelosi. All they've done is consistently said, these are the platforms that my constituents want. Mm -hmm. I am fighting for my constituents. And Nancy Pelosi is sitting there doing everything in her power to say, okay, prime example, what does America want? The majority of Americans have said, we want Donald Trump to be impeached. What does she mm -hmm. say? She says, oh, I'm not going to do that. Well, guess what, Nancy? That's not what you have you there for. That's not your job. Your job is to sit there and actually do what your constituents ask you to do. Your constituents are asking you to do so. They are fighting against that. So the notion that she's actually sitting there trying to benefit us. And then, again, I've said this before. Let's look at her voting record. Let's look at what she's actually voted for. Recently, why was the reason that she actually attacked these four individuals to begin with? Mm -hmm. Because they refused to give Donald Trump $4.6 billion for his hate monument. Mm -hmm. She got bent out of shape about it. She's also been on record saying, hey, Donald Trump is good for business. So everyone, especially the, and again, I, I hate the fact that people think of it as an ageist thing or anything like that. Because, hey, I'm a Bernie Sanders fan. So Bernie's been, if I look at his voting record throughout the line, from the beginning of time, because he's probably that old. <laughs> he, he has sit there, ageism. you know, yeah, hey, just, but you know what? He has been consistent, yeah. consistent throughout. So again, when I'm looking at these things, only thing anybody could ever tell me is that, yo, she's a great fundraiser. Who cares? We, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to make change. We don't, we don't care about making money right now. And yeah, we, he felt comfortable because within our own party and we act like you can't have conversations behind closed doors and which if you're the leader of this party then these conversations should have been Quote had unquote. privately <laughs> privately because but you have to make you have to make time for those you have to be ready to make changes within your own party within yourself and it's a lot of and it's not it, it's generational there is some ageism in which people have been living in this society for so long and that drastic changes for them is scary. Like I'm, I'm shook. I, I, I don't know if I can have that much change. Um, and there are younger folks who are like, let's go. And so there is a meeting of the minds that needs to happen. And these conversations need not be had on Twitter at, at press conferences. It should be had closed doors. And so we can talk about ways in which we can come together and so the things that you're asking for and your people are asking for and maybe some things that I'm, I'm trying to learn about um, same way we can come to an agreement and get things done. Mm -hmm. And if not, then everyone's going to continue to view our party as this very weak party and we can't get things done. And here we go, allowing Donald Trump to get shit done mm -hmm. because this party is going to be loyal regardless if they don't care. It's like the conversations are probably had back door. Like, I don't really think this is a good one, but um I think we're going to have to lose the, the mini battle on this one to win the war. Mm -hmm. And they're playing strategically while we're over here. We can't get it done because we, we care more about like these small little fights that we we're trying to have. And it's like, no, we got to do stuff. All so right. that's DeFrance smart. Sergio Vicente's in the studio as well. Before I let you go, Sergio, tell folks where they can follow your podcast, give all the information about you. And then the same for you, DeFrance. Uh, you can find me on the fight podcast um, with host Sergio Vicente. We are on all podcasting platforms, Apple, you know, or iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Um, you could also find me at sageeatschicago.com. We do healthy meal prep and fitness mentoring, but uh, with all the fight stuff, um, 
at the fight podcast on all social media platforms and um yes check us out we talk about all fight sports um breakdowns interviews with top athletes prospects coaches media personalities and uh, we break down all the fights so and, yes, uh, let's yes. take a little shout out to pernell whitaker passed away uh man shout uh, out yes uh, one of the great boxers of the 80s loved the man to death he man. died uh, too young in my humble opinion 55 years old 55? yeah yeah 55 years old got car, a car accident. car accident yes sir great fighter had two fights stolen from sergio Oscar de la Hoya, julio cesar chavez man. yes he wasn't even born yet he knows <laughs> the stuff two fights stolen <laughs> yes. from the man a lot of uh uh, courage in him. DeFrance Smart, uh, I know we're not supposed to talk about sports with you on the show, uh, even though she's one of the greatest uh, basketball players, uh, in my humble opinion, from the city of Chicago in this century. Uh, but just briefly talk about pay equity. Uh, you mentioned that. I know it's probably a whole topic we should get into. I shouldn't do this when we're about to bring on Tony Tedford. But uh, uh, just you must have been inspired by the women, the national uh, women's soccer team standing up for the rights uh, to get paid equitably and fairly right absolutely pay, pay them they deserve it they've they've done the work they've they've won there's nothing else you can say if we're talking about production we produce and so pay me what i'm worth and i was talking about it with a friend today and ways in which how how can they get paid because it's very often and we go back to the 9-11 bill like we don't have the resources we don't have the money for it um we can find the money, but we need to. What we need to do is make sure that once the money is in the pot, how can we go to make women's soccer, women's sports as marketed f- fairly as the men do? Um, we create these fields of like recruiting and institutions in which people can be. I don't want to use the word bread, um, but training facilities that are top notch, so that we can keep a pool of kids in soccer and sports. Um, that is marketed and has enough money the same way that they do t- for the men. The WNBA is looking at the same way. You make 35000 40000 on a rookie salary. On the men's side, we're talking about $1.3 on the low end. Um, so it's it's more than a just about like how we can find money, but how can we put other resources into the sport so that the women can be able to compete at the same level? Um, and they don't because they don't care. They don't care about women's sport. The women's WNBA team has had like four presidents. And so people actually trying to build uh, women's sports up the way that they should be. And it starts at the ground level. AAU, presidents, marketing, social media, give us the same amount of funds so that we can produce at the same level so that people can get eyeballs on TV. We're not playing on 12 o'clock on Twitter. Like the WNBA plays on Twitter, a live stream. That is what their marketing scheme has been this year. How can we get more eyeballs on it? Let's put the games on live stream. Yeah, I think there's an audience for it. I really do think there's an audience for there, it. Absolutely. The Houston Comets were amazing for six years. Yeah. We're talking about six championships. They won six in a row. And Houston was rocking. This was back in the Cheryl Swoop mm-hmm. days, Tina Thompson's. Like, we're, we're, we're talking about people who were at the top of their game. But let me ask you this. You grew up playing basketball, or at least from junior high on, mm-hmm. or middle school, whatever they call it here in the city of Chicago. Uh, and uh, did you follow? Did oh. you follow basketball? Why, uh, WNBA uh, games? Yes. Absolutely. That was the peak of, so, 98. Um, we're talking about 
the UConn women's basketball games being even more popular than the men at yeah. the time. We're talking about Pat Summit in the Tennessee days. Um, we're talking about people, Shamika Holesquall, Candace, Pon- Candace Parker dunking. So we're, the peak of the game was during my time. And it's crazy that people have forgotten. And a lot of it goes to that they're just not getting the same visibility because people don't care. Um, and I really hope that institutions like the NBA used to back a lot of the WNBA teams and a lot of them have started not to because it's not profitable. Um, And so the ways in which we just need a really good president, someone who cares about the game and is going to come and build it up and give it the resources that it needs because we're really good and soccer is great. You don't even have to talk about them. Like Mm -hmm. the men's have the men can't compete. And uh, they definitely will not be visiting the White House. DeFran Smart, Sergio <laughs> Vicente, my guest, uh, Tony Thetford is sitting by. We're going to be shift conversation on criminal justice issues in Cook County, city of Chicago, with a great criminal defense lawyer. We'll be right back after this. Today's Ben Jaromsky show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Hey everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green element resale it's located at 6241 north broadway in chicago and guys it's amazing all right listen to this furniture appliances lamps books clothes electronics more it's a thrift shop but it's the only thrift shop in chicago that helps bring you the ben jarofsky show so if you're ever on broadway between uh granville and devon 
Check out Green Element Resale and tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at greenelementresale.com. Green Element Resale, fantastic place. Go and save money. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Yes, indeed. We are live from the Chicago Sun-Times. DeFrance Smart has left the building. Sergio Vicente has left the building. Tony Thedford is in the studio, criminal defense lawyer. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And uh, uh, this is the first time Tony and I have met each other. Andy Grimm, who's been on the show several times, is a uh, the criminal courts reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Right. you got to have Tony on. you got to have Tony on. <laughs> uh, so I said, all right, stop bugging me, Andy. I'll have him on. So yeah. here we are. I'm, I'm his, uh, you know, point person over there, and I send him in the right direction because I know where everything is, where everything is over there, and where the bodies are buried. So uh, good. <laughs> well, maybe we can uncover a few bodies here. All right. Uh, since this is your first time on our show, just sure. take a moment to introduce yourself. Uh, tell folks a little bit that a few things they should know about you. Sure. Um, Tony Thetford. Um, I've been a uh, criminal defense lawyer for uh, uh, since 1997. Mm-hmm. I uh, started with the Cook County Public Defender's Office, still the best job in the world, loved it. Uh, began my practice uh, in 2005 and have been doing the same work I did as a public defender, but privately and for you know paying clients uh, since 2005. Right now, my business is Thetford Garber Law. I have a wonderful law partner, Sarah Garber, and uh, we do both criminal defense and civil rights work. So. We're very busy these days. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what's the difference between criminal defense and civil rights work? Good question. Um, civil rights work is, well, let's be clear. There are two types of cases in general in the court system. There are criminal cases and there are civil cases. Mm-hmm. Civil rights, though, specifically has to do with uh, a governmental violation of a constitutional right. So uh, more specifically, it's police brutality, uh, false arrest, uh, wrongful conviction, that sort of work. Um, but it actually spans more than that. But in terms of what most of us are familiar with, those types of cases that involve uh, governmental intrusion on private citizens. So, okay, now this is an interesting thing. One of my favorite topics that we're heading right into. Okay. Um, it, generally, when people talk about civil rights law, right. people assume that uh, it's as, uh, black people marching in the streets. Re- marching in right. the streets. Right. Uh, but you're talking about civil rights, constitutional rights that we have from gov- unwarranted government intrusion into our lives. Right. And it's very interesting, Tony, uh, that when somebody like Donald John Trump, for instance, is the subject of an investigation right. by the federal government, all of a sudden he's talking about his civil rights uh, and his rights uh, when uh, a Chicago police officer is accused of shooting somebody, all of a sudden he or she is talking about right. his or her civil rights. So everybody has civil rights. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? But we just tend to view it in the political spectrum of the United States as something like black people have. Do you follow right. what I just right. said? Well, also, uh, Trump claimed that uh, the gang of four were being racist towards him. So he just gloms onto anything that appears to be uh, whatever comes to his head first mm-hmm. and shoots out of his mouth. Um, but it, does he have civil rights that can be violated? Sure. Uh, have they been violated based on anything that we've seen? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the other way around. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things that uh, I get calls all the time when uh, people believe that it's a civil rights violation if they go into Target, for instance, and the cashier's rude to them. Um, so we sift through a lot of those sort of things, but it is very specifically uh, the defendant would be 
the government, city yeah. of Chicago, Chicago Police Department, the county, the state, uh, the federal government can be sued under uh, various theories. Uh, so, yeah. So, but we do uh, get the opportunity to represent people of color who oftentimes don't know that they have a right that was violated. When I first started practicing law in this town, uh, I I worked as a public defender, but over uh, when Robert Taylor Holmes was still standing. Uh-huh. And my clients often didn't know that they couldn't just be stopped. They didn't know that they had a right to remain silent. They didn't know that being pushed around and beat up by police officers was a violation of the law. And so it was, it was the basic... I lived under a different constitution than my clients lived under because they had no concept, not because they were dumb, but because the circumstances of their existence dictated what they understood. And the circumstances of their existence, oftentimes, uh, they were so disenfranchised and so cast aside and so marginalized that uh, they didn't realize they had the same rights as me. Uh, so one of the things that's, that makes me happy, even if I'm not making money off of cases, is simply to educate folks on what their rights are. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's an ongoing mission. And I think my responsibility uh, as someone who was fortunate enough to become the lawyer that I wanted to be when I was a kid. So that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And could you ever see yourself working, like, for instance, as Jason Van Dyke's uh, lawyer? So many lawyers come on the show and tell me, Ben, you got to be able to argue both sides of any case if you're a good lawyer. Could you see yourself doing something like that? Yes. And I'll tell you why. When we get to the point as criminal defense lawyers uh, where we place ourselves in front of the cause. And again, I don't have to take a case I don't want to take. But would I not? I wouldn't take Van Dyke's case if I had personal feelings that would interfere with the rigorous defense. Okay, Um, would I have taken Jason Van Dyke's case? Probably not. Mm -hmm. But have have I taken cases of people who are deemed to be deplorable or horrible? Yes. I have. Um, I've won many of those cases because the truth often is not the things that are published in the paper or that people popularly believe. Van Dyke is different. Again, we saw what happened there. Uh, I was happy with the the trial outcome. I thought it was the right outcome. I was unhappy with the sentencing. Uh, The judge who sentenced him, I have a great deal of respect for. He's a good man. He's He's a smart judge. But Again, the Van Dyke piece, to me, Mm -hmm. was a reminder to those of us who believe that power can be held accountable, that maybe not. And in Van Dyke's case, I think he got a a kiss based on murdering a boy in the street. And I think he got a a, a very reasonable sentence based on what he, in fact, was found guilty of. And the message that that jury sent by finding him guilty of each of those counts Mm -hmm. in terms of each bullet. Um, So that remains disappointing to me. But as a lawyer, I'm happy that his lawyer was able to get him reasonable treatment. So, so I, you know, it's back and forth for me. Well, you know, that reminds me, I've I've used this line many times on the show. Uh, Dave Chappelle has a very funny bit. Uh, The comedian Dave Chappelle has a very funny bit. He's talking about um, 
Michael Richards, right. who was on Kramer, and he was the guy that had that uh, breakdown on right. stage. Right. And one time, David Chappelle, you could find us on YouTube. He's uh, uh, on stage at the very stage where uh, Michael Richards had the breakdown. Right. It started, you know, venting the N word like crazy, mm -hmm. and his career was never the same after that. And uh, so David Chappelle looks around the stage, and in, that, in his own style, he says, "You know, I have two thoughts when I, I'm on here, and I'm thinking about Michael Richards. Uh, he's like, 20% of me is a black man who's offended by." It. but the other 80 percent is comedian and i'm like you know michael it didn't work the bit didn't work the next one will work and right. i just i thought that was a very humane way to treat right. uh a, a fellow performer who had really right. bombed out and when i'm listening to you i'm reminded because you have two aspects one right. is just a citizen of chicago uh who was outraged by the shooting yeah. uh, of laquan mcdonald the other is a lawyer go hey i think the guy's name is herbert is the lawyer dan me. herbert hey yeah. herbert you yeah. did a pretty good job you got your right. boy off right he did a good job uh and again it's it's uh <laughs> yeah we win cases all the time where i'm hoping that that client doesn't appear in my neighborhood Right, oh, <laughs> um, it's just the truth. Uh, yeah, right. But I am I am honored and proud of the work that we do as criminal defense attorneys because again, we get to stand with the unpopular, and uh, there's honor in that. And I would be. We have a young lady who uh, came to work for our office this summer, and she's an undergraduate student. Uh, she was involved in a, in a recent case. Uh, how can you defend someone that you believe or might know is guilty? First of all, I don't know if someone's guilty unless they tell me. I tell people that all the time or unless I saw it on video and even doing that, I don't know that for sure. But that's not the analysis. I would be dishonored if I didn't do everything that I could do for that client because it's not about me. If they hire me or bring me in to defend their rights, they have a right in this country to a full and fair uh, trial, full and fair representation, vigorous representation. And if I do anything short of that, I would never be able to sleep. I've not missed a day of sleep since I've been practicing because I keep that foremost. And it's not just me. I realize I'm sitting here. But uh, the lawyers that I know, the, these men and women who I'm honored to work with, uh, most of us feel the same way. Mm -hmm. And there are some exceptions. And the thing that happened, and this is on the R. Kelly piece. Okay. Uh, the thing uh, R. Kelly is one of his former lawyers said about him back in February when this case was charged uh, and talked about conversations that he had had with R. Kelly and that he knew he was guilty and he tried to get him treatment and do all of those things. Uh, frankly, that was one of the most shameful episodes I've heard of from a criminal defense lawyer. And this particular lawyer is outstanding. He was a, a god to many of us. And uh, I, I don't know what the motivation was, but you know, we can't do our jobs if our clients can't trust us with their secrets. Mm -hmm. And we don't get to have an opinion about our client's guilt or innocence. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you remember years ago, uh, before he died, Johnny Cochran never gave an opinion on OJ. Never did it. Yeah, He never did it. Not because he was sitting on something, because that was his job, his responsibility. Yeah. And so whoever we represent, be it uh, someone who everyone's deeming guilty, R. Kelly at this point, uh, we hold on to those confidences, and more importantly, we hold on to our opinions because if we have an opinion, uh, those who hear us may believe that that's what our client yeah. told us. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we're dealing with a, with a, a powder keg here, and we've got to be careful. And so, again, uh, regardless of what's happening with Kelly, 
it's certainly not fair if, if one of his prior lawyers, you know. All right, we'll talk about R. Kelly. Let's talk R. Kelly and talk and compare him to Jeffrey Epstein. Mary sure. Mitchell wrote a column the other day in the Chicago Sun-Times, very interesting column, where she was doing the uh, pretty much obvious comparison about how these very prominent, successful, wealthy people right. have uh, done very well, if you will. I'm just boiling it down in our criminal justice system. Uh, R. Kelly uh, was what acquitted back in 2008. Right. Uh, the evidence was pretty strong against him. Uh, the and uh, Jeffrey Epstein, he wasn't acquitted, I think around the same time, but man, <laughs> what a slap on a wrist right. he got. Right. So let's talk about that a little right. bit. Uh, what, what is the, the obvious conclusion is that if you're wealthy, right. the, the system works for you. Yeah. Let me say this. Um, I mentioned a moment ago one of R. Kelly's lawyers. I work with the other R. Kelly lawyer at the time of that trial, back in 2008. Um, Sam Adam and I worked together for years in the same space. I was not involved in that case, but again, Sam Adam Jr. is an excellent lawyer, and he ended up being sort of lead attorney in that case. That was a weak case. People keep suggesting that somehow he got off. That was the only conclusion a jury could have reached. They did not have the alleged victim in that video. So without that uh, uh, clarification as to who that was in the video or some determination of that, that should have been a not guilty. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's an easy case. And I certainly, uh, you know, from the outside looking in, know what those lawyers did and, and how hard they worked to get to that result. But there was no, you know, uh, conversation with or deal with some people in power in order to get R. Kelly favorable treatment. The government had a hard time putting that case together. That's not the case now. Uh, they've got him coming and going in terms of how they've charged Henry in Cook County, how the feds have charged him both here and in New York. Um, it would be a miracle if he were able to escape all of those charges. Uh, Epstein is different. With the Epstein piece, he knew powerful people. He was able to lean on those people in order to get favorable treatment. His outcome back in 2013 had everything to do with our former Secretary of Labor mm-hmm. and the deal that he made with him directly down in uh, uh, Florida mm-hmm. uh, when he was a U.S. attorney in that district. Mm-hmm. So it, it's easy to compare the fact that both men are wealthy, but the circumstances of those acquittals are completely different. And again, Epstein was not acquitted Back in 2013. Uh, 28. He, I think it was 2008. Was it tw- 2008? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, it, I think it was Bush was the president of the United States right. when it went down. But anyway, go ahead. I cut you off. He was not acquitted. He just got a favorable yes. plea deal. Yes. Uh, which was an amazing plea deal based on those allegations. <laughs> uh, I yeah. was, you know, which I was his lawyer. I would have got yeah. a huge bonus. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, those, so they're different circumstances. Well, and, and not only did he get the amazing uh, plea deal, right. Tony, but I don't know if you saw this one. He, uh, when he, after he had uh, served his time, and I have that in quotes because he was allowed to leave jail every day. Right. So that's, that's called a, an easy sentence. Uh, but after he served his sentence, there was a, a court proceeding in New York where the New York uh, had to determine whether how much of a sex offender he right. was. There's a ranking system. I wasn't aware of this until I read the article. Sure. There's a ranking system, and so the higher your rank, uh, the more regulations you have right. to buy, more, more prohibitions on your movements. Right. The, the uh, district attorney 
uh, from I mean, excuse, the, the the federal prosecutor from New York, uh, under serving under Vance in uh, New York, went and argued for leniency right. uh, uh, for uh, Epstein. Well, and the judge was so surprised. You know, I've never heard any f- attorney, right. you know. So he got it. It was con- the favorable. That may be the, that was like 2011. I want right. to say so. These favorable right. behavior by the prosecutors continued for him. Well, I mean, what, what is the consistency there, though? In this country, and it starts from the White House on down. The reason that Trump is even in power because we credited him for being financially successful. So it makes you look different. He's sanitized. Epstein was different from everyone else because he was wealthy. And because he was wealthy, he got different consideration from the same people that if he were poor or if he were brown, would have been throwing a book at him. And there's no other way around that. I mean, uh, the young lady who was here a, a few moments ago. De France. De yeah. France. Yeah. Uh, talked about the core of all of these issues often has to do with race. And we have to call it that in order to ever change that. What happened to Epstein had to do with him being uh, wealthy and white. And so, yeah, you get these same prosecutors who would throw the book at a person for a minor offense, begging for leniency for this man. It it blows my mind. But unfortunately, we see it all the time. Now, in my opinion, I have no proof. So I'm going to say this up front. I have no proof of this. But when I read these stories, Tony, and I read about the leniency, my first instinct, this is probably the guy who's been covering Chicago politics for a long time. So correct me. Feel feel free to vigorously disagree with me. Mm -hmm. A call was made. That's my first instinct. Somebody powerful called somebody in the position of authority in the criminal justice system and said, hey, go to bat for this guy. That's my instinct. What's your thoughts? I bet we could track the donations that Epstein gave to various politicians. And I understand it's not just Republican politicians. It's also Democratic politicians uh, with Epstein. But I bet we can track those donations and contributions over the years so that when the call needed to be made, people listened. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. If you can buy politics in this country, you buy influence, you can buy leniency. And so it doesn't happen with a one-shot deal where someone goes in with a bag of money and drops it off on someone's desk. It's calling in a favor. And what he was probably told was that, yeah, you have to do a little bit of time, but we'll make it easier on you. We'll let you come and go every day and keep making your fortune and sleep here at night, possibly. And when you get to New York, instead of uh, having to register under the terms that someone who's pled guilty to what you pled guilty to typically would be subjected to, we're going to make it more <laughs> palatable for you. So, yeah, it's about money. It's about influence. It's about all of those things that we know are trite and we keep hearing every day. The problem is, and certainly with the behavior of, of this president, we've gotten to a point where we've accepted it. And that, to me, is the part that, that is... Accept that blows what? what do you mean? We, we accept d- disparate treatment for people. We accept the fact that if you're rich... You get away with it. And we accept the fact that if you're poor and you've done very little in comparison, that the book will get thrown at you. That's just the way it is Mm -hmm. in this country. That's just the way it is. And this is not decrying, you know, United States of America. And again, I'm simply talking about the disparities in the criminal justice system often have to do with those issues. And it's it's hiding in plain sight. Tony Thetford is my guest, criminal uh, defense lawyer here in the city of Chicago. Uh, we're going to get a little more specific. We're take a break, get a little more 
specific when we come back, talk about the debate between Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and Tony Preckwinkle, Cook County Board President. Man, the two of them just got finished running an election against each other, and now they're debating each other. But a very interesting debate over uh, who is most responsible. This is like anybody, one person could be most responsible for crime in the city of Chicago. Uh, judges who are too lenient and uh, the state's attorney is too lenient in allowing people to get back in the street uh, with uh, easy bail, uh, or the police department for not having enough detectives to clear cases. We'll talk about that issue when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Our friends and co-hosts at the Chicago Sun-Times are offering you, yeah, you, the listener, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories that you love. Unlock every feature, video, and podcast, just like this one, The Ben Jarofsky Show, by signing up now for a digital subscription for a limited time only. You, yeah, you, again, the listener, can test out digital access for only $1. Seriously, guys. $1. There's no reason to not give it a shot. Stay up to date on breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters. Cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city and go deep inside City Hall with best in-class political reporting. $1 for your first month. I repeat, $1 for your first month. You really can't do better than that. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right, will do. Uh, that super cool music means we're almost done with another show, but we're not done yet. Uh, Tony Thetford is in the studio with me, criminal defense lawyer. I set it up, Tony, uh, for uh, a, a discussion on this debate that's been going back and forth between uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot and Tony Preckwink. I'm looking at a picture of them uh, here in the Sun-Times, shaking hands, looking very nice. Uh, and, and, you know, not only is... Uh, yeah, great lawyer. He's also a fantastic piano player. Listen oh. to him. Oh, Whoa. I didn't use that guy. This is what I do. This is what I do. Whoa. <laughs> Dr. T uses the gag. I forgot I got it. you back, man. Yeah. Uh, yes, but Tony who's, uh, plays a great piano. Yeah, I know. forgot that gag. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I was so focused on this. Dis- <laughs> <laughs> on this discussion. You're really yeah, good. Yeah, you're really good. Tony. I just picked Actually, it up. You just picked, picked it up. Just when you walked in here. Just on my way in. Yeah, yeah. No, that piano is right behind you. <laughs> Eat your heart out, Elton John. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's uh, the, put the piano away, Tony, and let's focus on the <laughs> Do I have issues. to? Yes, yeah. yes, you must. <laughs> you got to talk about Tony Preckwinkle and Lori Lightfoot. And no piano playing for you. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, Lori Lightfoot uh, said, and Eddie Johnson, the police chief, said right. that... Uh, there, 
the judges are letting uh, people repeat offenders out uh, too easily. And uh, Tony Preckwinkle Connor defending her judges because she's the president of the Cook County Board, uh, saying, stop blaming us, uh, hire more detectives and clear more cases. What's your thoughts on all this? It, this is... Uh, we're seeing skirmishes in this debate right now. This debate has been going on for a long time. What President Preckwinkle has led has been admirable. She was the first politician in this town who stemmed the tide on over-policing, who began to stem the tide as it related to over-incarceration. Mm-hmm. What was happening at Cook County Jail was deplorable. They were at 11,000 people, I believe, in a jail that could probably hold about nine that jail census now has been cut in half. I think there's about 6,000 people on a daily basis. That's all due to uh, Preckwinkle's push for uh, more deliberate policing in terms of uh, not locking up these low-level offenders. Bond reform has been amazing for uh, the citizens of Cook County. We were going the wrong way. We're going to build another jail to house 25,000 people because the bonds that were set for each individual there was 10 times what they could possibly afford. So with bond reform, we've actually seen the numbers go down in terms of recidivism. I think the article indicates Mm -hmm. uh, President Preckwinkle's position regarding uh, that the numbers don't lie. What happens is, and and I was surprised, frankly, uh, when uh, Mayor Lightfoot reappointed Eddie Johnson, um, because Johnson's numbers aren't coming down or they're not clearing cases, they look to point blame. So they're blaming judges for actually following the law. And these judges that are uh, uh, granting bond to uh, gun offenders or alleged gun offenders or, or other uh, individuals who fall into the category of what they're referring to, these people aren't coming back. They aren't, they aren't uh, reviolating while they're on bond. There may be new cases. But that has nothing to do with those people to whom those judges gave reasonable bonds. And I applaud Kim Fox's office, honestly, for their progression in terms of how they attempt to prosecute these cases. I will tell you, uh, as someone who's in these courts every day, it hasn't been easier for me and for my clients in terms of their approach to the cases. However, uh, The lawyers in Kim Fox's office actually listen now. That didn't happen before. If you have a position or if you have a client uh, who should deserve some consideration, they will at least listen. And what's happening with Kim Fox, what's happening uh, by extension, uh, President Preckwinkle, because we all know that uh, Kim Fox was her anointed. um, There's a wave of progressive prosecutors around the country right now. Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, if you've heard about, down in Texas, uh, in, in Brooklyn, I think the uh, young person who just was a public defender who just became the prosecutor. What's happening is that we're getting this backlash from the old guard because they're not used to consideration being given to people or power being taken out of their hands. And I'm talking about law enforcement here. Mm-hmm. They're not used to power being taken out of their hands in, ha- in terms of how they treat people. So, again, the numbers don't lie in terms of recidivism and those kind of issues and the numbers don't lie in terms of the difficulty that the Chicago Police Department is having in clearing violent crime cases. Mm-hmm. So they look to blame other people and they blame those people who stand uh, uh, stand for progress in terms of our criminal justice system. If you note, if, if you remember a few weeks ago uh, when there was the big Daily Center protest about Smollett and the alleged favorable treatment that he got. You had all of these retired police officers, many wearing MAGA hats and Confederate flags, 
you know, and it became this huge argument about race. And all of a sudden there's this black prosecutor who they believe are letting people out of jail and all these things that aren't true. So it becomes this symbol. So they'll take any failure that she may have, including Smollett, if that is a failure, I don't know what happened there, um, and try to use that to say that she's incompetent, inept, and unable to do that job. Mm -hmm. But change is coming. And we can't continue in this country to exist where we just lock people up over and over again. And let's be clear. These are pretrial detainees. They've been found guilty of nothing. And these pretrial detainees, if you go to Cook County Jail, are all black and brown. So they're comfortable having these people locked away on allegations. What happens with these allegations? If I'm locked up, the likelihood of me pleading guilty to something that maybe I didn't do mm -hmm. is exponentially greater because I want out. Yeah. And so now that people are, are, are seeing more reasonable bonds, the outcomes are more uh, legitimate, I believe. All right. Uh, I just will say this about Smollett. You, I cannot allow it to pass because we yeah. talk about Smollett so much on this show right. with Andy Grimm and sure. Ramana Hussein, who was here earlier today. Uh, I hear what you're saying about the issue, the larger issue of right. what Kim Fox is talking about. But there's no doubt in my mind that a phone call was made in that case as well. I was just talking about the phone call that I believe <laughs> was made with Jeffrey Epstein. And the, I know a phone call was made. Right. And this is my problem with Smollett Gate. Right. Uh, and, and on this particular issue, sure. I do not believe uh our state's attorneys or our prosecutors should be taking phone calls from people representing powerful it's if it's the same thing with jeffrey epstein as it was with smollett a phone call was made it's not the same sure. so the, the the kid who's picked up for has a joint on the uh, on the west side nobody's making a phone call for that guy well well, well you know uh, uh ben i gotta take a bit of exception to that and this is no defense of kim fox okay i I oppose her every day. It's my job as a, as a defense lawyer. So again, I'm not an advocate for Kim Fox, yeah. but I, I just want to be fair to folk. Go ahead. I make phone calls all the time on behalf of my clients. I make phone calls to the prosecutor and say to them, look, this is what's going on. Can we have this conversation? So was a phone call made? I'm sure there was. But let's not be naive that phone calls aren't made all the time. It doesn't mean that I have any leverage when I make the phone call in order to get them to do what I want them now, to do. Let me ask you this question. But I'm starting a conversation. All right. Have you ever called the, the state's attorney, not some lower level prosecutor? I have not. The state's attorney and not. said, uh, excuse me, state's attorney, let's move this case from the jurisdiction of the Chicago Police Department to the FBI. Can you right. do that for me? Right. Uh, have you ever done that? I have not. Okay. I don't know that that's what happened, though. Again, I isn't that the allegation? Isn't that what that? Uh, I think she's actually agreed that that's what happened. That she that the phone call came in uh, from a, uh, a, a some kind of a relative of Smollett right. saying, right. "Hey, I'm that's worried correct. about uh, leaks coming from the police department. Could you move, have this moved to the federal uh, investigators?" And I believe she called Eddie Johnson himself. She right. notified it the police chief, as opposed to saying, uh, "I think this is an inappropriate phone call." This whole thing is blowing up in her face. Um, and uh, it would be unfortunate if if, if the uh, progressive work that she's doing is somehow uh, stunted, and that real possibility exists. And we see it in, in national politics all the time. If if they can find one, you know, uh, one crack uh, in order to be able to castigate someone Absolutely. and to be able to derail their policies. But yeah, I mean, if she did that. 
Ugh. You know what? You're, that point is the one I always make. It's it, the the real victim, the, the person that gets hurt the most, are people who would be defended, right. uh, who 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 would be protected by a different attitude toward right. uh, criminal justice. Sure. And absolutely, uh, yeah. that's the valid point to make. Here's what uh, uh, Lori uh, Lightfoot said in in, and I'm quoting from the Sun Times: In a high stakes game of political poker, Lightfoot then challenged Prickmickle to put her cards on the table. This is the Sun Times writing, and here's the quote: My proposal. Lori Lightfoot says, is that we put our data on a weekly basis. Uh, excuse me. My proposal is that we all put our data out on a weekly basis and see who's getting arrested. What are the charges? What are the bond decisions being made? And separately, if they are on bond, what are the results? We will put our data up, and I want the county to do the same on a weekly basis. That's how we can get to some answers. What's your thoughts on that? Fine. Fine. I, you know, I'm, I'm very pro-data. I would be interested to see how consistent the Chicago Police Department are with their data. We, we do these things all the time where it's like a put up or shut up. When we start putting up, there are some truths that people don't want to pay attention to. That often happens when there's dissemination of data in this form. Preckwinkle or the county has put up data to defend bail reform. So that's been ongoing. Now, maybe it's not a weekly piece. I certainly haven't noticed that it's been that. And again, I'm too busy to keep up with it uh, that intently. But uh, yeah, let's put the data out there. I, I, I believe and I know that what I'm saying is correct relative to uh, recidivism rate or those people on bond who reoffend while on bond. The purpose of bond is to ensure that someone comes to court. It's not to punish them on the front end for allegations. And that's what gets skewed in this debate. Oh, the judges are letting these dangerous people out. These people are charged with crimes. They've been convicted of nothing. And generally, they stay in jail because they're poor. Those stats are overwhelmingly out there. Mm -hmm. So I would challenge uh, anyone who doesn't believe that part of it to show me otherwise or to show anyone otherwise because it's ridiculous. And this is data that's been accumulated over decades uh, in this town. I agree with you 100%. I really, uh, I do hope Preckwinkle takes her up on it. I hope there's some substance yes. that comes out of this disagreement. I think it's an illuminating debate right. that's, uh, and now that the challenge is there, let's see the data. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, that maybe that would would inform us what's the best policy to sure. pursue. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I'm for what works. Yeah. And this actually works. Bail reform has actually worked. It's working nationally. Um, maybe it's a, a trickle in the stream, you know, but it's doing something and we're pushing things the other way in uh, criminal justice reform. And we have to start somewhere. All right. Very good. That is Tony Thetford. And Tony, it's a real pleasure having you on the show, uh, having you. these conversations. I hope to bring you back. This I want to come back. The show, yeah. And you maybe play the piano a little more oh. when he returns. Oh. Bring the drums next <laughs> time. Bring the oh, drum. do it. <laughs> do it. Play Wipeout. You have an update from yourself? Absolutely. Before we get out of here, we have an update. So earlier in the program, we talked about uh, Donald Trump and rapper Aesop Rocky. We have an update on that. Oh, okay. Yeah, Trump said he and Kanye West had talked about rapper Aesop Rocky, who has been detained in Sweden over an alleged aggravated assault since earlier this month. The president said he would be in contact with the Swedish prime minister to address the situation. He tweeted about it. Yeah, surprise, he tweeted yeah. about it. Uh, luckily, I have Donald Trump's Twitter page open in my browser. It's got to click over on it real quick. Just hang tight with me here. One second. Let me find Donald Trump's Twitter page. Oh, okay. We're on Donald Trump's Twitter page. Here we go. All right. Here's the tweet from the president. Just spoke to at Kanye West about his friend Aesop Rocky's incarceration. I'll be calling the very talented 
Prime Minister of Sweden to see what we can do about helping ASAP Rocky. So many people would like to see this quickly resolved. All right, Tony. I gotta hear call? your thoughts on this. What yeah, the phone call? It's be our thing, right? <laughs> yeah. The phone call. The phone call. It's just more foolishness. I mean, I don't know what's going on with this uh, with ASAP Rocky and his situation over there. Yeah. Uh, but again, he'll get on the phone because Kanye West called him to help this gentleman out who's in a foreign. Co- How about the other folk who are being maybe unlawfully detained in different jurisdictions? How about the other folk in this country? who need the help of the intervention of someone in power like the president of the United States or even Kanye West. How about we get on that? This is all just entertainment crap that is a waste of people's time and is demeaning to the office of the presidency, uh, president of the United States. This is a joke. Yeah. And it's disgusting. Well, you know, and it does follow uh, at the, the, on the heels of four or five nonstop days of Donald Trump battling right. uh, four congresswomen of color right. all of, and, and leading, the, or not leading, but st- basking in the glory of the sender back chance. And then suddenly the, people are calling him a racist. Uh, so yeah, he, so goes, he thinks he's going to fix it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, my good friend Kanye West. Yeah. <laughs> Again, yeah. someone who's in a, a, a different strata because he's wealthy. But that's his black contact. So now he's going to prove and will likely argue, see, I'm not racist. I just talked to Kanye West to help another black man out who's in Sweden or Switzerland, wherever he is. Yeah. Both of whom happen to be very wealthy. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, they asked him about Alan Omar, and then when he diverted by talking about ASAP Rocky yeah. during that press conference. <laughs> yeah. So they uh, that's I figured that's that's Donald Trump, man. He's going to come back to Kanye West. The number of people he could turn to. Uh, black people that he could turn to is dwindling. He's got Kanye, and I don't know who else is oh, on is that Steve list. Steve Harvey for a minute. It's Steve Harvey for a minute. Yeah, a minute. Steve. Had one. Steve came in his senses. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, Tony Thetford, thank you so much for being here. Uh, for I also want to thank our previous guests, Sergio Vicente, DeFran Smart, Roman Hussein was here earlier in the day. Ali did a magnificent job as always, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend. He has battled so much this week. Pride and joy of all. Not only had the root canal surgery, he came. He played in pain. We got off to a late start today because the board was, wasn't working. He yeah, figured, I was flipping out. He, he figured it all out. He is, uh, you know what they call him back home in Alton? You don't know this. You know what What's they, that? What is his nickname? White Lightning. That's White what they lightning. call him. White <laughs> lightning. he's so fast. Uh, that's what they call him in Alton, Illinois. The man is that the name delay. of a moonshine, I think? <laughs> <laughs> it's about to be. Uh, and uh, so give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader website, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast downloaders. We live stream the program Tuesday through Friday, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time, both Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader websites, and the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube page. Check out Ben Jarofsky's article. Wait for those bonus interviews. They're coming as well. See you Tuesday.